And good morning, New York sports fans. I'm Daniel McCartan. McCartan after midnight. I'll be talking all things New York sports with you tonight until 6 a.m. on this early, early Sunday morning. Or, as I always say, late Saturday night. If you're still out and about, the city never sleeps. New York City, New York. Coming to you live from the Mike Francesa studio here in Lower Manhattan. And we are two hours into Football Sunday, November 24th, 2019. We're going to be together a lot tonight, you and me, till 6 a.m. I've got Pat behind the glass. We have some calls already up on the board. He's ready, willing, and able to take your phone calls. You know the number. It's probably saved in your phone. You don't even need me. 877-337-6666. Let's load them up. Mets, Yankees, Jets, Giants, Knicks, Nets. It's all on the board tonight. We've got a very special guest for you at 2.40 a.m. Very promptly. This is a live call-in. Live. Of course, he's on the West Coast. Adam Hill of the Las Vegas Review-Journal will join us live from Sin City to help preview the Ranger- Raiders at Jets matchup later today at 1 p.m. Is Las Vegas really ready for NFL action? Is there a method to John Gruden Company's madness out there in the wild, wild west? The Raiders have been surging as of late, and why? And how does their 6-6 tight end match up against Jamal Adams, who is playing at an all-pro level and the Jets secondary? What about the Jets' league-leaning run defense versus the ninth-best rusher in the league, Raiders rookie Josh Jacobs? Before we do that, let's head out to Brooklyn. And representing BK to the fullest, is it Kyrie Irving? Because the Brooklyn Nets have a real conundrum on their hands. Is Kyrie Irving... One half of their prized possession free agency hall. Really injured? Well, that's what New England, and more specifically, Paul Pierce is alleging. Irving has got no timetable for return after being listed out for the Nets' next three games against, one, the New York Knicks later today, where he surely would be booed a la Kristaps Porzingis 2019. You know that. And his former two teams, both of which he left on quite Poor terms. The Cleveland Cavaliers and the Boston Celtics. Will Kyrie Irving's shoulder miraculously heal on December 1st when the Nets host the Miami Heat? Hmm. For the Nets, it doesn't seem to matter if if Irving is on the court or not because they're riding a two-game win streak. And they had a decisive win over the Sacramento Kings Friday night. I watched it from, from the jump to the end. And in fact, the Kings, they never even had a lead in that game. And the Nets are 3-3 three and three without Irving in their lineup. And how exactly are they staying afloat, winning three of their last four games? Well, obviously, guys have stepped up. You've got two guys, one named Spencer Dinwiddie and the other named Joe Harris. Those guys have been the catalyst for the Nets over this, this stretch of, let's say, six games or so. Because, I mean, Kyrie Irving was averaging 28.5 or 28.5 points a game. And... Dinwiddie and Joe Harris have stepped in. Dinwiddie set a career high. He netted at least 20 points for the fourth straight game Friday night. And then Joe Harris matched a season high with 22 points. Furthermore, he shot 8 of 11, which is, like, ridiculous. And he hit a season-best five three-pointers. And the other side of town, the New York basketball Knicks. Come together. 
Well, head coach David Fisdale's job still seems to be safe uh, for now because it's been quite touch and go since that last impromptu press conference the night of the loss to the Chicago Bulls where the Knicks were basically booed off their own home court. And Fisdale said, and this is the reason for the song that come together by the Beatles, that guys are just starting to get to know each other. This is a quote from him. We're getting better. We're improving. We need to do a lot more things consistently. Hence, obviously, the Come Together song. And you need to see this, that he has not lost this locker room. These players are still playing for him. And that speaks volumes to me. Now, the most recent goal for the Knicks is to get to the three-point line a little bit more often. And while that could be true, the Knicks actually have, coming into tonight's game, the 10th best three-point percentage in the NBA. They hit 36.7% of jump shots from downtown. So for me, it's not really that. For me, it's that the Knicks need to be more selective in their shot choices all over the floor. Because in efficiency, they rank, they're tied for 29th with the Chicago Bulls out of 30 teams in the entire Basketball Association, National Basketball Association, in field goal efficiency. Think about that. They're second to last in field goal efficiency. Only 42.7% of their, of their shots fall. So the shots that they're taking, they need to be better quality. They need to get better looks. Now, Greg Popovich's San Antonio Spurs rode an eight-game losing streak into the garden tonight. Said Popovich prior to the game, we are defensively challenged. I laughed when I when I watched him say that, but it sounded like it was a perfect opportunity for the Knicks, who entered play as the bottom dwellers in the East, to right their ship against the Spurs, who entered second to worst in the West. In fact, though, the Knicks never had a chance in this game tonight. They were down 28 after the first half. They never had a single lead in the game. There was an awful effort, and they shot terribly. And, and looking at that stat line, there's there's something glaring that sticks out. San Antonio sunk sunk 19 three-pointers. They scored 57 points on three-pointers tonight. Some putrid defense that San Antonio has, huh? The Spurs end their eight-game losing streak on this rainy night here in New York. And the Knicks will compete in the second game of back-to-back against guess who later today? Obviously the much cooler Brooklyn Nets. That's at 5.30 p.m. So I took to my famous Twitter poll to ask you all, my loyal, intelligent listeners, Who wins installment number two of the Knicks and Nets in 2019? The results are in, everybody. 53% of you say the Nets are going to win. And if you do some quick mental math, that means 47% think the Knicks are going to win. So we keep waiting. The Giants' world right now is a massive six-game losing streak, and they've been waiting over the course of two weeks, due to the bye week, of course, to change that. I was curious, that does, in 2019, the bye week help or hurt the team coming off of it? So I think you guys know me by now. I did a little research. Turns out that in 2019, teams coming off a bye week have a record of 8-16. and the pessimists now would say that they play the percentages and they would say that there's no chance for the 2-8 and eight Giants to head into Chicago and defeat the 4-6 and six Bears. Conversely, the optimists would point to the fact that eight teams have won coming off that bye week. They'd say that based on the fact that eight teams have won this type of game and the Giants then therefore don't have a 0% chance 
they theoretically can make it nine wins for the bye week Warriors. The odds, though, obviously are not in their favor. So what will be in their favor is the fact that Sterling Shepard will return to the lineup after being sidelined and trapped in concussion protocol for weeks now. Why is his return significant? Well, we always talk about how Daniel Jones is aggressive. Um, He's the third most aggressive quarterback in the league, in fact, in terms of tight window throws. But he doesn't have much choice, though, because Golden Tate, Darius Slayton, and Benny Fowler, they're among the wide receivers that create the least amount of separation in the entire NFL. Tate, surprisingly, is the worst of them all. So Sterling Shepard, though, he's one of the best in creating separation on his routes. Yes, you heard that right. One of the best in the league, Sterling Shepard is, in creating separation. And his return should greatly benefit his rookie quarterback, Daniel Jones. Now, if the Giants lose in the Windy City and the Cowboys find a way to topple the Patriots, Giants fans, you might want to cover your ears. The Giants will be mathematically eliminated from 2019 playoffs after week 12. At least they'd have a top three pick in the 2020 NFL draft. What will happen within the organization if the Giants drop their seventh in a row? Will the coach be sent packing? The GM? Which players will be shipped out the door for draft capital? Only time will tell, honestly. Giants fans shudder at the thought and try to push it from their minds. Black hole sun, won't you come? Wash Now, there's no chance in washing the rain later today. The Jets are going to welcome the Raiders and their traveling black hole fans to a sloppy, damp, and subsequently cold MetLife Stadium later this afternoon. The Raiders at 6-4, and four, well, guys, they're playing for a playoff berth. So they're going to show up. In fact, if they defeat the Jets, you better set your dials because next week they're going to set up a showdown with the Kansas City Chiefs in KC, I believe, to potentially claim first place in the AFC West. Derek Carr is actually terrible in games that are under 50 degrees, which this will be for him tomorrow or later today. He's just 2-8 and eight in his career on games under 50 degrees. And although, this is a quote from him, he claims, I've never really minded the cold or anything like that. Wait, Pat, I think we've heard that line before. Cold never bothered me anyway. Right, and thanks for that, because that's Elsa from Disney's Frozen. If you live under a rock, you're welcome. The cold never bothered her anyway. And Derek Carr could tell himself all, all that all day. But the fact remains that he's only 2-8 and eight in cold-weather games. Now, the Jets, though, they're riding a two-game win streak. And, and the Raiders are coming in hot, too, by the way, on, on a three-game win streak. And don't adjust your dial. I actually did just use the phrase win streak and the word Jets in the same sentence. At this juncture, there are two types of Jet fans. The first type are those that are very happy that their team is finally seems to have, you know, turned it around, stringing together a two-game win streak with a quarterback that has seemed to figure it out finally. They think that the Jets can ride the momentum through the rest of the season and maybe somehow, with a lot of help, slip into that second wildcard spot. And then there are those that know that a two-game win streak came against two of the worst teams in the NFL, the New York Giants, and the Washington Redskins. These are the people that have been listening to my show because they know that the Jets are playing with some false hope right now. They've been enjoying some fool's gold, as I predicted they would be at this point. The New York Times has this playoff simulator where you can click a bunch of boxes and figure out your team's playoff odds. It ran 49,755 times for me. And I hate to burst anyone's bubble, but the New York Jets hold 
a less than 1% chance of making the NFL playoffs in 2019. Even if they went out, even if the the Dolphins, uh, they're irrelevant, even if the Patriots lose out, and even if the Bills lose out, the Jets are still at less than 1% to get to the playoffs. That's some significant statistic. Let's hit the calls. All's on the table. Cannot wait to talk with you guys. 877-337-6666. I'm Danielle McCartan. After midnight on The Fan. Get ready for an NFL Sunday triple header. Today on The Fan, we've got the Giants and Bears at 1, followed by the Cowboys and Patriots after the Giants postgame show, and wrapping up at 8 with the Packers and 49ers. So make sure you're locked in to catch all the play-by-play right here on your flagship station for NFL and Giants football. Sports Radio 1019 FM and Sports Radio 66, WFAN and WFAN-FM, New York. So this is obviously this great song, Post Malone Circles, which is a great segue because the Giants and Jets seem like they're going around in circles. Uh, the Giants, 2-8, and eight, are heading to Chicago to take on the 4-6 and six Bears, as we just talked about. And the Three and seven Jets are welcoming the six and four Oakland Raiders to town. And again, I guess because both teams kind of sort of stink, the games are both at one o'clock, which I absolutely hate. I cannot stand when both games are at one o'clock because you can't really get into really either of them. And I am still one of those people that watches them from start to finish. I like that. I don't like the red zone package. First of all, I don't pay for it. <laughs> and second of all, I just don't like it. I like to watch games start to finish, and when they're both at 1 o'clock, it's tough. So I took to my loyal Twitter followers, and I said, which 1 p.m. game will you spend more time watching this football Sunday? And lo and behold, it was almost 50-50. 51% are watching Jets and Raiders. 49% are watching Giants and Bears. And I I should have maybe had a third option of I'm going to flip between the both of them because I'm sure that's what most people are doing based on these split results. And like we just talked about, the Jets have a less than 1% chance to make the playoffs. Well, so do the Giants. Let's head out to Mount Holly. And CJ, you're on the fan. All right, Dan. Yeah, you know what? You're right about the schedule. It can be very frustrating when both teams are playing at 1 o'clock because you really want to know what's going on in depth. However, though, the reason they have to do it so you get to see a great 430. Yeah, I know. it sounds like a first-world problem living here in New York where we have two teams and they both play at once. So how dare you have to pick? But, you know, you're right. Uh, all right, getting to the next. You know what? This point guard situation is absolutely horrible. I think Dennis Smith Jr. can play somewhat. I believe in him. I would just give him the job and let's see what he could do throughout the whole year. Little team is never going to be anything more than a defender. Mm-hmm. If Smith was healthy, he was showing great progress at the end of last year. And I don't know what's going on over there. Is it the injury, conditioning, or is it just the coach doesn't like him? What's your impression? Well, CJ, thanks for the call. Uh, listen, I think Dennis Smith Jr. Bring, brings a lot to this team. I think the energy, him, him balling out, literally diving on the floor for loose balls, things like that, I, I, I like him. And I agree with you. I think he should just be given the rock and say, listen, this is your team. Roll with it. Because Neil Aquina, I mean, he doesn't score enough. That's the thing. He doesn't, he doesn't score enough in order to, I don't know, make himself a mainstay in that point guard position. 
Now I know Fisdale is kind of trying to, what's the expression, make bleed whatever out of a rock, whatever the expression is. He's just trying to make do with, with, with what he has. And he doesn't have on his roster a, 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 a true point guard. And Nilakina is a defensive specialist. I think we can, we can all agree on that at this point in time. So you can't move R.J. Barrett because he's doing fine where he is. You can't expect him to be the point guard on that team. So give it to Dennis Smith Jr. The guy brings an energy to the team. As soon as he steps on the floor, you know that. You've seen that. If you're a Knicks fan, you know. I, I, I just, It's just the situation, the lineup construction of the Knicks is not... Um, you know, conducive to winning. I mean, sorry. And, and now the the Knicks are welcoming the Nets to the Garden, and you got Kenny Atkinson. See, this is the thing too. I, the Knicks are getting like a, a kind of sort of like a bad rap. You know, they're sitting at at four and twelve. Okay, the Nets are seven and eight. I mean, they're both they're both under five hundred, and. This guy seems to be falling at the garden. Knicks have four wins. The Nets are sitting at just seven. They're both under 500. And do you want to try and use Kyrie Irving's injury as an excuse for the Nets? Well, Friday night, Spencer Dinwiddie stepped up and made his fourth straight start in his place. Four straight games with at least 20 points. And it's the longest streak of his career. Actually, the Nets are 3-1 and one when Dinwiddie's in that starting role. And to paraphrase Kenny Atkinson, the coach, he said that, that Dinwiddie thrives in these types of situations. And he seems to shine in these times. So Kenny Atkinson, let's look at this comparison. He's got he's in his fourth season in Brooklyn. He's got a 369 winning percentage. I thought Brooklyn was the destination because when you look at David Fisdale with the Knicks, he's got a 237 winning percentage. It's not good. But if you were him and you were told when you took the job that they have all this cap money, they're going to um, attract the best free agents the league has to offer, you would believe him, right? I think we all believed him. Until KD and Irving and Kyrie Irving signed in Brooklyn, until Kawhi Leonard went elsewhere, until the Knicks told you that Anthony Davis, as we talked about last week, didn't fit the plan puzzlingly. But then we also talked about how maybe that that's a, a backdoor way to get him here for next year. And when when the Grizzlies fired David Fisdale, you, the biggest name players in the league supported him: LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, Damian Lillard. Because when you look at his career numbers, including those Knicks years, he's got a three fifty nine winning percentage, which is almost exactly equal to Kenny Atkinson's. So. If you guys want to get on David Fisdale, that's fine. But look at the bigger picture here. And you got Nick's Nets later today. And Kenny Atkinson said that below average teams are inconsistent, and that's what we are right now. Because they handily beat the Sacramento Kings Friday night. They've won two in a row. Yet Kyrie Irving is out indefinitely with this shoulder injury, this, this nagging shoulder injury. And... Although this technically isn't an away game because the players are waking up and going to sleep in their own beds. That's great. That's nice. The Nets are 2-5 and five when they're playing in away games. And before tonight's game, 
The Knicks had split their last four, but they lost by six points total in those two losses. And last time they played together, the Knicks and Nets, I'm saying, we talked about it on here. R.J. Barrett, we had we had Chris Sheeran from the Yes Network on. And I asked him about how R.J. Barrett's shooting his foul shots. At that point, he was shooting 20% from the free throw line. Now it's up to 50. Still not good, but it's definitely better. The last time the Knicks and Nets played wasn't quite a clean game in more ways than one. Security guards had to rush off the bench to prevent a bench-clearing brawl on the court at the Barclays Center. There were 57 personal fouls combined. There were 26 turnovers. And then Kyrie Irving hit the dagger three-pointer with 21 seconds left in the fourth quarter. That wasn't an easy win, though, because the Nets held on to that like a, like a roller coaster, runaway roller coaster. They once were winning by 19 points in that game. And the Knicks, they're the more healthy team right now, and they should be playing in front of an electric crowd. And if you're a Knicks fan and you're going to the game, I want to hear what your best chant is going to be for the Knicks. Uh, that's 877-337-6666 because the Nets were quite creative um, when when the Knicks rolled into town. Because, first of all, it started with the number 11 coolest giveaway at the professional sports game ever. They had a, a Kyrie Irving number 11 jersey giveaway. And that's obviously a troll job by the Nets because, obviously, Irving chose them over the Knicks in free agency. Section 114 named the block. Alternator between we got KD and Kyrie, you got Dolan chance, and where is Zion? Obviously, because... The Knicks lost out on they weren't lucky in the lottery, let's just say. And Nets fans, as they exited the Barclays Center, they were singing, Brooklyn's better. And look at that. We're gonna head out to Brooklyn and Harry, you're on the fan. Good morning, or should I say good evening? I don't know which one. But... <laughs> Me neither yet. What's up, Harry? <laughs> yeah, I know, I heard you mention it before. Uh what I was interested in knowing was could Beltron's contract with the Mets, be null and void if he's found out to be knowledgeable of the cheating that the Houston Astros did. Ooh, I don't know, but I assume that they could they could null and void it on their own if they if they really believe that he is a main part of it. I think I think the Mets would would have the power to do that. I would think. Right. I, I was just wondering because. Uh, they're shopping for a manager, and uh, they grabbed this guy real fast. I don't know why, but they did. And, uh, you know, I'm thinking maybe they're having second thoughts. Well, I, I think, Harry, thanks for the call. I think they might be having sec- second thoughts. Well, and by the way, it took it took about three weeks for them to hire Carlos Beltran, if I, my memory serves me correctly, and it's always not the best. But I think it took about three weeks, and I think the problem I had was that the Phillies moved a lot faster. The Phillies selected Joe Girardi, who was obviously my number one and a lot of people in and around the Mets' number one choice for their manager. And and then the reports are that that Joe Girardi is trying to entice or court Didi Gregorius to come to the Phillies. Now, I tweeted that the other day. Substitute Mets in where the word Phillies appeared in my tweet. And can you imagine if... If it was flipped, that Joe Girardi was the manager of the Mets, attracting Didi Gregorius to play in Queens. Imagine that. I think that's the reason why the Mets might be having buyer's remorse. 
And as far as what the Mets have said about it, um, I saw last week that Brody Van Wagenen was asked about it, and he basically said that, listen, this is an MLB investigation right now. This is, this has nothing to do with the Mets at this point in time. Um, but if it did come, and I'm paraphrasing, obviously, and if it did come down to, you know, something that the Mets had to take some sort of action, then then they would. But at, at this point, right now, it's an MLB investigation, and it, and that's where it still remains. Do I think that Carlos Beltran was involved in it? Absolutely. I mean, we had on last week, uh, what's his name, Wildstein, the guy who's making some of these videos. I mean, it's it's clear as day. And as a veteran presence on that team, as a veteran, you, you'd have to think he he was one involved in it, and and two maybe even had, had orchestrated it. But the the truth is that he never reported it. And so as as much as we want to make about his you know his character and all that, well, he didn't report it. And well, then you would say, well, why would you rat out your own team? Well, for this reason, because you have uh, intentions of moving on and furthering your baseball career. You're just not going to disappear into the sunset. Like, obviously, did he not think that this was going to come back and bite him? I mean, other guys, they might just retire and, and that would be it. And it doesn't really affect them. So if I were Carlos Beltran, I, I would have put an end to it if, if I had some ethics and morals, which I, <laughs> I'd like to think I do. But I'm I'm just saying that I I I I don't know. I think Carlos Beltran ha, has a lot more to do with it than than we know at this point in time. And I asked on Twitter, my Mets fans, I asked them, "What do you think about his level of involvement?" And, and most of them were like, "You know what? Don't care yet, not yet." And so, um. I just don't know. I just think that if if you know you have intentions on, and and let's be honest, Carlos Beltran knew he had intentions on, on furthering his baseball career, even even when he was still a player on the Astros. And like I said last week, this this could potentially hurt his case to make it to the Hall of Fame. I mean, right? I mean, I think this is a more egregious way of cheating than than steroids. And those guys you see aren't really getting into the, to, to the Hall of Fame. And we could talk way more after the break about this. We have Adam Hill, a live call-in from Las Vegas. He's, he's a cor- Raiders correspondent for the Las Vegas Review-Journal. He's coming up next after the break. I'm Daniel McCartan on The Fan. This is Joe Beningo. Join me and Evan Roberts tomorrow. Week 12 in the NFL. We'll talk Giants as the Giants go to Chicago to take on the Bears. We'll talk Jets as they host the red-hot Oakland Raiders at MetLife Stadium. Carl Banks will join us. We'll break it all down for you. We'll go through every game. So a big football Monday show on the midday show. Joe Beningo and Evan Roberts, 10 to 1. Sports Radio 101.9 FM. Sports Radio 66. WFAN. WFAN FM. New York. It's certainly going to be interesting to see how many Black Hole Raiders fans make their way to MetLife Stadium later today. On the line, we've got a very special guest live from Sin City, Las Vegas, Nevada. Adam Hill, who covers the Raiders for the Las Vegas Review-Journal, is joining us live to preview today's matchup. Thanks for joining us. I'm McCartney after midnight on The Fan, Adam. Thank you. Yeah, no problem, anytime. But first of all, I thought I was coming on to talk about my Yale Bulldogs and their great win over Harvard after I heard about it in the update. 
but more importantly, it is Nevada. It's Nevada. I've been I, this corrected. My, I've been this corrected. This is my hill to die on. Yes. <laughs> okay. Las Vegas, Nevada. I know. I have friends out there. They say, come on. It's not Nevada. It's Nevada. Tomato, yeah. tomato. Adam, first, I, I got to ask you first. What is the atmosphere like there after this Wilder-Ortiz fight at the MGM? You know, it's crazy because not only, you know, I, I think, you know, people come to Vegas and they enjoy, they, they you know, hit the tables and the, and the pools and all of the things that are going on. Like, I don't know if a lot of people realize how great of a sports town this is. So the fight is going on at the MGM right across the street. I mean, when I say walking distance, it is a stone's throw away to T-Mobile Arena. I was yeah. actually covering the Golden Knights uh, Edmonton Oilers game, mm-hmm. which is, it's right there at the next casino. Uh, so that's going on. The fight is going on. I actually, earlier in the day, covered the UNLV uh, football game. It's the last game in the history of Sam Boyd Stadium. They got a, a stunning win over San Jose State, a late a late interception uh, inside the 10-yard line. So that was going on today. That's the last game there before they move in to Allegiant Stadium where the Raiders are going to play. Uh, just a ton of sports going on. And by the way, UNLV basketball against SMU was going on in between those things. So it's a crazy sports town. So the atmosphere is nuts. I will say for the Wilder fight, not as big as most uh, big-time boxing matches. You just weren't getting that same feeling. Uh, and I don't know if it's the fact that you know, people are really waiting for Wilder Fury, and that's the fight everybody wants to see, and they're just not paying attention because, you know, they're, they're not going to get into it until the fights happen that they want, or if it's all these other things going on in the sports world here, but just not the buzz of a typical heavyweight fight. Now, Vegas is obviously sounds like it's pretty pretty ready to be the official sports town when the Raiders arrive, and that's why I opened with Katy yeah. Perry's waking up in Vegas, obviously. Yes, um, so perfect. John Gruden, now, he received some major a major flack. He rid the team of Khalil Mack, Amari Cooper, and Antonio Brown. What is, and it seems to be working, by the way, what's the method to the madness out there in Vegas, well, Oakland right now? Yeah. Um, you know what? I don't know. And, I, you know, we'll get into it more, I think, as we talk about this, but uh, I, just, I don't understand what's going on. I think one of the questions I've been asked a couple times in interviews lately, kind of around the country, is, you know, how are the Raiders good and it's a really tricky answer for me because I don't think they are. Like, I don't think this is a good football team. They're in the race. You know, they're they're right there with Kansas City. And if they get by the Jets tomorrow, which I don't think they will, but we'll talk about that. But if they get through this game, they have a showdown with Kansas City on the road next week to potentially, you know, have first place in the AFC West. But I still don't think they're a good team. I watch them every single week. Uh, tomorrow is actually the first game I'm not going to, uh, to be there in person. But... I, I sit there and I watch them and I don't understand how they're good. Like, I don't think they are. They're just finding ways to win. And I think you have to give Gruden a lot of credit and Mayock. Uh, one of the things they did is they, they brought in this huge rookie class. They took advantage of those draft picks they got from the Khalil Mack deal. They bring in some rookies and you say, okay, this is a foundation you're going to build on. Down the road, two, three years, if these guys pan out, this will be a good team. But they've arrived so quickly. 14 touchdowns already this season by that rookie class. Uh, they're contributing all over the field from, you know, Josh Jacobs is a, a, is a star right away, uh, which I think a lot of people expect him to be very good. I don't know if people thought he'd be this good. He's a star. But then you go deeper. Hunter Renfro, they find a guy who was a college star, but nobody really thought he had much potential in the NFL. He's been very solid. Foster Moreau, they find a tight end, um, you know, out of LSU who just is, is really, really good. And 
I think a quiet key to the success of the offense is Alec Ingold, the fullback, an undrafted rookie from Wisconsin. He comes in. He's been just a superstar for them. So they're just finding these pieces, and they're finding ways to get enough out of these guys to win games. And again, I just I don't see them as as being good as a whole. But the 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 sum of the parts is just is adding up to victories, and, and it's baffling me. But they keep doing it. <laughs> now Raiders rookies, they have. The most yards from scrimmage, the most touchdowns, the most rushing yards, the most receptions, and the most sacks among all NFL rookies, which I think is crazy. So, Adam, who is the one evaluating evaluating the talent out there? Because we need them here in New York. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think Gruden has to get a lot of the credit for that. Um, Gruden is kind of a one-man show, even though they bring in Mike Mayock to be the GM. He's really just kind of Gruden's right-hand man, and then... There were some funny exchanges this week because Mayock talked about how much he liked Josh Jacobs and, and what he saw in him as a rookie. And, you know, Gruden was asked about that and said, hey, did Mike Mayock really run into your office and say, this Josh Jacobs kid is going to be a star, we're going to pick him? And Gruden just kind of laughed and said, yeah, I guess I'll let Mike take credit for that one. Uh, but it was kind of implied, like, yeah, all these guys are my guys. These are the guys that I wanted. Like, I, I was one, you mentioned earlier, people detracting from Gruden. I was one that detracted from Gruden, no question about it. I thought it was kind of a joke to be in broadcasting for that long and to try to come back and, you know, pick up where you left off and be a, a good head coach again. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't I didn't see it. I didn't think it would happen. Uh, he has been much, much better than we thought. And I, I think it just goes back to he believes, like, football is football. And as much as it progresses and as much as we see it as a, an evolving game, a different game, he just still sees it as a football game and he knows football and that's his belief and he's going to stay with it. So, you know, I, I don't – I don't know that he's built a team right now that is, you know, going to contend for any title anytime soon, but they're finding guys. They're going out and finding, hey, this guy does this. I mentioned Alec Ingold. He is a prototypical fullback in the league is mostly phasing out fullbacks, Mm -hmm. but he said, I want a fullback. I want this guy. And he has been so good in the running game, leading the way for Josh Jacobs and in pass protection. Like, that's the kind of thing Gruden says, like, this is what football is, and I'm going to go stick with that, and I'm going to do it. And he's done it, and it's working so far. For the most part. Now, they, they still have to take that next step. Uh, they still have to become a, a more dynamic team. Uh, there's a lot that they have to get accomplished. I think they found ways to get to the passer all of a sudden, which they weren't able to do before. But that has come at the expense of the run defense, which has been atrocious the last three weeks. So they're just not a complete team yet, but they're finding ways to get it done. So I think you just have to give Gruden a lot of credit for that. Now we're talking with Adam Hill of the Las Vegas Review-Journal here on The Fan. And I mean, the Raiders have been on a tear over the past couple weeks, and they've minimized turnovers, they've increased their takeaways, and besides that, what has been the most contributive factor to that surge? I'm going to point to the first nine weeks, passer rating against them was a 114.8. In the last two weeks, 49.7. I mean, is that is that really it? Is that why? Um, yes. I mean, I'll say yes with a caveat. Again, they have found ways to get to the passer. They had 13 sacks all of last season, they have 10 the last two weeks. Mm-hmm. Like, that is incredible what they're able to do. And they're able to find, you know, everybody talks about Cleveland, Cleveland Furl in the first round, number four overall. I think it was a huge reach to go get him there. And he hasn't been that productive outside of one game. Uh, so that was kind of a stretch. But then they find Max Crosby in the fourth round, a kid from Eastern Michigan who nobody really thought that much of. And he has been a dynamic playmaker in the, in the pass rush. Benson Mayoa, a guy that they found ways to get him there, he was the lead, you know, by far their, their leading sack getter 
uh, early in the season. He was the only one getting to the quarterback. He's been good. Last week, they unearthed Deion Jordan, who was on a 10-game suspension in Seattle. Uh, he was available. They brought him in. He gets to the quarterback last week. So, I mean, they're finding guys that are able to get to the quarterback, and they're, they're letting them do it. They're letting them go. But as I said, the big caveat to that, their run defense for the first nine weeks of the season was really, really good. And, and I thought a huge reason why they were playing so well and it has been really, really bad the last three weeks. So my take on it, and I'm watching a little film. Nobody from the team has I've asked the question over and over again, and they, they're getting sick of me asking it. But to me, this team is selling out to get to the, the quarterback because that's what they think is important. That's what they think was lacking. And it is really affecting their run defense. So I think they need to find a, a more of a balance because you you got to applaud them what they're doing. They're getting the quarterback. They're sack, They're getting sacks. And that is leading to turnovers. They're all of a sudden getting all these interceptions because of the pressure they're putting on the quarterback, but they can't stop the run. They need to find a way to do both, and they haven't been able to do that yet. Now, Derek Carr, uh, speaking of quarterbacks, he's he's 2-8 and eight in temperatures below 50 degrees, and which fits that tomorrow, the forecast. Now, yeah. a Jets defense forces opponents into situations where their passing game has to account for like 76.2% of total offense. So with the weather forecast for tomorrow and his his – track record of playing in the cold is, is Carr up to the task tomorrow well he has been all season and, and again this is a different situation for him to play in the cold weather game which he's not really used to he really shot us down this week uh when i was up in oakland the other day uh you know getting getting some stuff together i was talking to him and, and pointed out his struggles in cold weather and uh he referenced the fact that he played in the mountain west conference in college uh when he played at fresno state and I've covered the Mountain West for a long time, and he said, you know, you've been up to Laramie, you've been up to, you know, all these cold-weather places in, in Fort Collins and uh, and Colorado Springs. You've been there. You know how cold it is, and I was fine in college. Uh, I think people are making too much of me in the cold weather. But, again, you got to go out and prove it. You've got to go show it. And he said that, hey, I've done it. I've, I've shown it in college. I can show it in the pros, too. And we'll see. Now, the other difference is that he's only had two really, really, really impressive seasons in the NFL this year in 2016. So, uh, you know, he is a different player than he has been in the past. And, you know, not coincidentally, those are the two years that he's been in a system for a second season. Uh, they've changed systems so many times, and this is uh, a chance to really learn a system and get comfortable with it. He's been playing at a much, much higher level, but this is a new situation. He's got to be able to prove it uh, out there in the cold, in the elements, uh, and against a team that's really going to get after him. So I think this is a, a big, big game for Derek Carr. And from a leadership perspective, can you get the team ready to go into this game and not look ahead, not look past the Jets, and and look at that game next week against Kansas City because you've got to win this one to make that game matter. So I think there's a lot on Derek Carr. And he's, I think he's a guy that has been kind of protective of his stats this year. He's second in the league in, in completion percentage. I think a lot of that is because he's making very, very safe throws. Mm-hmm. But he's, he's moved the offense. He's been efficient. And we'll see if he can do that again in, a, in another challenge tomorrow. No, Adam, we're up against a break a little bit. I, I, and I also wanted to get to your prediction. But my final question would be, this season, the only single running back that really cut the Jets up for over 100 yards was Ezekiel Elliott. Are there any Elliott qualities in Josh Jacobs? No, I don't think I don't think so. I think he's a very, very good player, a very dynamic player. Uh, he's a different kind of a runner. Um, I think he's far ahead of where anybody thought he'd be, but he's just a different player. The key for them, as I said, Alec Ingold with the blocking and the offensive line, this is only the third time they're going to be all five projected starters together. Uh, they are a very, very capable unit, so I think they will re- really provide uh, a challenge for the Jets in the run game, but the Jets have been so good against the run, mm-hmm. especially the last three weeks. 
Uh, I don't think it'll matter too much. And uh, if you want to get to the prediction, I'll just tell you right now, I think the Jets win in a very low-scoring game. Yeah, I was going to say, if you can look into your crystal ball, what's your prediction for Jets? What do you say the score is going to be? Because I, I also say, have the Jets winning this game, actually. Yeah, I'll, I'll say uh, 20 to 13. 20 to 13. Okay, I had Jets 17, Raiders 14. Wow, okay. Even even lower score. Yeah. I mean, see, I just think that the Jets' defense, run defense especially, is just is just too good. And I think they're just going to force Derek Carr to throw that ball. And I think it, that's a bad news for the Raiders. Very bad news. And he can't push the ball downfield, and he won't push the ball downfield. So uh, if the Jets can keep everything in front of him, that would be very good for them. And I'll tell you right now, uh, there is panic about playing Jamal Adams in that locker room. Any question you ask, no matter what it is, you could ask uh, you know, one of the players – Hey, Tyrell Williams, what did you have for breakfast today? Like, man, we got to get ready for Jamal Adams. So they are, they are nervous about that guy. Well, you also have a 6'6 six, six tight end. I mean, that's going to be a creative uh, matchup nightmare, I'm sure. Uh, what, Darren Waller? Yeah. He is he is a superstar. I mean, his story is great. He's a, a great person. Uh, everything about him has been unbelievable to just be around in the cover. And his talent is through the roof, but... Uh, teams have have really really geared up to stop him the last couple of weeks. So his numbers have gone down uh, because nobody's letting him beat them because he they know that he is they have all excuse me he is all they really have in the passing game. Well, Adam, it's going to be a great exciting game for MetLife Stadium today. I'm sure you'll be watching on TV out there in Vegas. And and thanks so much. This was live, everybody. This was a live call in from Adam Hill of the Las yeah. Vegas Review Journal. So thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, for sure. No problem. Anytime. Okay. Bye. And again, Adam Hill from the Las Vegas Review Journal, live calling from Las Vegas. I got to get out there and, and see him very soon. Um, you can find Adam's work right even from here in New Jersey or New York on the Las Vegas Review Journal's website. So um, we'll take more of your calls after the break, 877-337-6666. I'm Danielle McCartan on The Fan. Sports Radio 1019 FM. Radio 66 WFAN. And hello, everybody. Again, I'm Danielle McCartan, back with you on the fan. We've got Pat behind the glass. He's waiting for you to call in, give your thoughts on anything, really. Jets, Giants, Mets, Yankees, uh, Knicks, Nets, even. And we just had a great call in from Adam Hill from the Las Vegas Review Journal, because as you know, the Raiders are moving to Vegas. Um, and this is their final season in Oakland, actually. So um, that was a great call. If you missed it, just go back on the Radio.com app, and there's that replay feature, which is brand new. You can go back. And my favorite part of that interview had to have been when he said that the Raiders players are so concerned about Jamal Adams that that's all they could think about. And Jamal Adams is having an all-pro sort of sort of season. He's playing at an all-pro level and we'll get to him in a little bit now i just want to just give you a little preview of the game just real quick you guys can load up your calls 877-337-6666 entering play today the raiders are six and four they're thick right in the middle of the playoff race they're one spot back of the second wild card spot in the afc and they've won three straight actually their first three game home sweep since 1980 that's before i was born <laughs> And a win for the Raiders over the Jets would set up, uh, as Adam mentioned, as I mentioned in the open, that compelling game at Kansas City for first place in the AFC West. In conclusion, the Raiders will absolutely be playing for something today. The Jets, not so much. 
the Jets at three and seven. They're looking to legitimize their two consecutive wins against two of the worst teams in the NFL. Don't get go, don't get excited, Jets fans. They still possess a less than one percent chance to make the playoffs, even if they do get some help. I mean, by some, I mean a lot. Even if the Patriots lose out and the Bills lose out the rest of the season and the Jets win their next six, making it eight for eight over the last half of the season, they still have a less than 1% chance. That's the New York Times playoff calculator says so to make the playoffs. And think about it. It's 2019, soon to be 2020. It's almost been an entire decade since the Jets were last in the playoffs. Not since 2010. Even the Dolphins have made the playoffs more times than the Jets have. I mean, at least they made it in, in 2016. Again, it's 877-337-6666. Set out to Connecticut. Armando, you're on the fan. Hello, Danielle. I'm a Dolphins fan. Oh, okay. And and what happened to them since the days of Shula? <laughs> well, uh, and Armando, thanks for the call. I'm, I'm not... I, I, I'm not well up, well versed on my Miami Dolphins history from the Don Shula days before I was born. But if the season ended today, Armando, the, the, the Dolphins have a higher pick than the New York Jets do. They're picking fourth if the season ended today. The Jets got a fifth pick in the first round. And I mean, I think that the Dolphins and the Jets are more are more parallel than people like to like to think because. I'm thinking now, the Dolphins, I'm looking at their last... I mean, the NFL is so quarterback-centric, right? If you have a good quarterback, you're going to have a good team. Think about it. Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, you know, those guys, Peyton Manning even, those guys had success. And you can even go back to Joe Montana, right? So I'm looking at the the list of, of the, the quarterbacks for the Dolphins for you, Armando, and, and you got... Ryan Fitzpatrick, and this is where I say that the Jets and the Dolphins are very parallel because until Sam Darnold has arrived, which the jury is still out on him, the Jets didn't really have a franchise quarterback ever since, I don't know, Joe Namath. So you look at the, the Dolphins quarterbacks, you got Ryan Fitzpatrick, who was with the Jets. I mean, he's played in basically every single team in the NFL, Ryan Fitzpatrick. Josh Rosen, he's... He, Bust comes to mind. The word bust comes to mind when I think of Josh Rosen. Uh, you got Ryan Tannehill in 2018. You, you behind Jay Cutler in 2017. Back to Tannehill in 16. Tannehill, Chad Henney. I mean, that's that I think is, is is one of the main problems of the Miami Dolphins. I mean, they made the playoffs in, in 2016 as a wild card team. Lost to the Steelers. The quarterback was Ryan Tannehill. I mean, he is, I mean, these quarterbacks that I just mentioned, since two, going all the way back to maybe Chad Pennington in 2009, they, they've been really, really, really mediocre. And as we know, the NFL is a quarterback-driven league. And that, long story short, is why I think that the Dolphins haven't really had much success. As... The Jets haven't, and not to mention that they play in a, in a division. I don't know that has a guy named Tom Brady, who who seems like he's going to play until forever, and and a coach in Bill Belichick who seems like he's going to coach forever. 
and I'm sure if you're on Twitter, you've seen the 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 trend this week was um I'm going to tell my my future kids blank and fill in whatever it is, and you're supposed to put up a picture of whatever it is. So I took it yesterday and I did this. I put up a picture of Bill Belichick in his cutoff sleeves, and I said I wrote. I'm going to tell my future kids that this was Albert Einstein. Because as we all know, love him, hate him. Bill Belichick is a football genius. And so happens to be coaching a Hall of Fame quarterback in Tom Brady. Like forever. Let's head back out to Brooklyn. Henry, you're on the fan. Good morning, Daniela. How are you? Um, I have to say, I, I, I mean, you know, Belichick's an excellent coach, and uh, you can't take anything away from him. I some of his messages are questionable, but um, he's a good. He tells us how to motivate people, etc. Right. And Tom Brady, well, <laughs> <laughs> the man is like uh, immortal. I don't know how. Well, he's got good, but he got a good team around him. But um, I'd like to talk about the Buffalo Bills because mm-hmm. they got a chance of getting into the playoffs, and uh, not to put down the Jets or the Giants, but. Um, when they moved to New York, I mean, the Meadowlands, I should say, I started following the Buffalo Bills because I just, I thought, I, you know, I mean, it was not tacky, but I mean, they had a chance to get their own stadium, and I understand that. It was a good move on their, you know, on the Jets and the Giants' part. Mm. But the Buffalo Bills have been a, you know, they've been a contender for quite a bit. <clears throat> and um, I know I remember the both. I mean, the whole... You know, I mean, I, I enjoy watching them play. I mean, it's four years in a row. They missed the Super Bowl or whatever it was. I mean, they really, yeah. you know. So, I mean, uh, I think, I mean, the dopey joke is, you know, why didn't, you know, how come OJ was innocent? Well, they always, they only choke up in Buffalo. I mean, sick joke, but, um, no, but I think they have a good team. And uh, I know they've, they've, they've certainly are loyal to their fan base. I mean, Henry, thanks for the call. Have you ever seen the videos, Henry? Or I should have just kept you on there, but have you ever seen the videos of, of the Buffalo Bills fans jumping off of RVs onto tables? I mean, this is a passionate fan base. I mean, <laughs> and then sometimes my, the favorite ones that I have are the ones that where the tables don't break. So the, whoever it is is jumping off their, their RV, because obviously it's cold to tailgate up, up in Buffalo, especially at this time of year. They jump off the top of the RV and the table doesn't break. Those make me laugh every single time. And those fans are going to probably have a lot to cheer about because the Buffalo Bills, they have a 67% chance to make the playoffs this season. That's pretty good. With Josh Allen, you know, we talk about the, the quarterback class that came out of the last draft. Josh Allen, will he be, will he be the only one taking his team to the playoffs? Well, he's got a 67% chance to do so. And it's just the Buffalo Bills defense has just been surprisingly sneaky, sneaky, sneaky good. And, of course, with him, he's a mobile quarterback, all that. But when you look at Tom Brady, you know, behind every good quarterback is also a good defense. I mean, the Patriots defense has been playing absolutely lights out. And so basically has the Buffalo Bills. I mean, good enough to give him a 67% chance to to make the playoffs. That's 67 times more than the Jets and Giants combined have to make the playoffs. they got to be doing something right. So, I don't know. I, I just, I mean, this, when we stay in the state of New York, 
football is not good. Technically speaking, the Bills are in New York. They're doing fine. They're doing all right. We've got a big game today. Jets Raiders. Got Derek Carr coming in, who, who who's been quite um what's the word? Inconsistent. I looked at his numbers. We can talk more after the break. Um he he excels in throws that are from zero to ten yards across the field, across the entire left, middle, and right. That's where his bread and butter is. That's where he's gonna live. And in the 2018 regular season, I mean, he was almost, because that was the stats available to me, NFL next-gen stats, he was almost perfect, almost perfect when attacking the right corner over 20 yards. That might be something to watch. That's where he's thrived, even this year. And, and that will probably be the game plan. Throw one over the top to the right corner of the Jets. Otherwise, take the short slant routes, especially when you got a 6'6 tight end which is a, is a match of nightmare. And he's well above average, average Derek Carr on any throw in front of the line of scrimmage on the right side, anywhere, any depth. He's, and he's, he's averaging 9.2 yards per attempt in NFL best over the past six weeks. And he's on pace to set career highs in completion percentage, passer rating, and yards per attempt. He's coming off a Week last week, he was 25 for 29. I mean, the pass completion rate is second best in the league. First, Drew Brees. So the Jets need to look out for Derek Carr this week. But they have, the Raiders, have a lot to look out for for the New York Jets in this AFC AFC battle. Let's just call it at MetLife Stadium later today. More calls after the break, 877-337-6666. I'm Danielle McCartan on a fan. Listen to Giants football today at 1 p.m. with Giants game day at 11.30. Join Carl Banks, Howard Cross, and me, Bob Papa, for all the play-by-play here on your flagship station for Giants football. The Fan, Sports Radio, 1019 FM and Sports Radio 66. WFAN and WFAN-FM, New York. And hello again, everybody. I'm Danielle McCartan, back with you. On WFAN McCartan, after midnight, we've shown a lot of love, or attention at least, to the New York Jets and their matchup with the Raiders today. But, you know, there's another football game going on with, with the other football team in New York. Oh, yeah, the New York football Giants. And obviously, we're still taking your calls, 877-337-6666. Uh, and the Giants are, are playing also at 1 p.m., which I absolutely hate. I hate, again, when they both play at 1 p.m. I, You know, you're sitting there with the remote, and you're like, ah, flip, flip, flip. You can't get into either game. And I know you guys that watch the red zone are like, what are you talking about? Uh, I, I don't really like the red zone. I like watching the ebbs and flows of the game. I don't like just watching the red zone itself. So it bothers me, in particular, when the Giants and the Jets are both playing at 1. Or... Whatever time. Usually it's one. <laughs> As of recently, it's been the one o'clock game. Now, we talked about how the Jets have a less than 1% chance to make the playoffs. Well, the Giants are even lesser than that. They're even less than 1%. Less than less than to make the playoffs. Now, the Giants are riding a six-game losing streak into Soldier Field later today. And the Giants haven't won since they beat the Redskins on September 29th. Now... 
The Giants, or this year's Giants, emerged from their Week 11 bye on a six-game losing streak, and they're desperate for a victory. But the Bears, at 4-6, and six with, with a wobbly quarterback in Mitchell Trubisky, you know, wobbly meaning playing hurt, I mean, that could be exactly what the doctor ordered, maybe, for the Giants. The good news for them, the Giants, is that the Bears only have a 1% chance to make the playoffs. And like we mentioned in the open, that the Giants can be eliminated from the playoffs if they lose and if the Cowboys beat the Patriots. So theoretically, as soon as they land, wherever they land, at Newark or whatever, the Giants could be eliminated. So I was curious. I did some research, as I said. In 2019, does the bye week help or hurt the team coming off of it? I did a little research, as I, as I mentioned. NFL teams in 2019 coming off a of bye week have had a record of 8 and 16. Hmm. I think the most disappointing thing for the Giants and their fans was the offensive showing against the Jets. Saquon Barkley, 13 rushes, one total yard. And more concerning, even more concerning than that, was that he was hit 11 times behind the line of scrimmage. The first contact came 11 times behind the line of scrimmage. Oof. But looking ahead, I think I'm going to go with the obvious again this week. I think my Giants player of the game this week is, is it's got to be Daniel Jones. And, I mean, maybe some baby good news, maybe that Jones has better numbers in visiting stadiums than at MetLife. He's got, I mean, it's markedly different. In four road starts, He's got 13 touchdowns and a passer rating of 101.9. Huh, that's our radio station. Can't forget that. At home, he's got two touchdowns and a passer rating of 73.9. That's markedly worse. Wildly inconsistent. But I guess expected of some sort of rookie quarterback. You got to cut him a little bit of slack while he's having a statistically impressive rookie season. He's got one exception, though, guys. The fumbles. The fumbles, are, are they're hard to watch. Daniel Jones has a 63% pass completion rate, which is good. Just under 2,000 yards, which is good. Leads all rookie quarterbacks with 15 touchdown passes, which is great. You might be surprised to know that he's got more touchdown passes than... We talked about him. Take a guess. Daniel Jones has more touchdown passes than, here's the answer, ready? Tom Brady. Yeah, he does. So what I'd like to see from him, Daniel Jones, this weekend is just to clean up the fumbles. It's hard to watch. Jones has got eight interceptions in nine games, which is eight starts. He's lost nine of his 13 fumbles. Lost them. And, and I looked at, man, nine fumbles, that, that kind of sounds like a lot. Well, it is a lot. Because nine fumbles leads the entire NFL. Not just quarterbacks, not just rookie quarterbacks. All of the players. All of the players. Daniel Jones has more fumbles than any player in the NFL. That, you can't win games like that. Sorry. And, and we talked about this, too. Not only does Daniel Jones fumble the ball, 
I joked last week about that that beer commercial. I don't always drink beer, but when I do, it's Dos Equis. Well, Daniel Jones, not only does he fumble the ball, but when he does, he really makes it count. He's had a fumble return for a touchdown versus the Lions, versus the Cowboys, versus the Jets. Fumble return for a touchdown. Come on. Now, Pat Shermer, I mean, he says that there's not a common theme on his fumbles and that Jones is obviously is ultimately responsible for all of them. But Shermer explained them as three different types, I guess. I, I categorized them. One, there were a lot of times where a guy didn't get blocked properly and he hit the pocket or he got hit in the pocket right where he's ready to throw. That was one of the, the things Shermer said. Second one was, there, this is these are quotes from Pat Shermer. There was another one where he was actually in rhythm to make the throw and got tomahawked from behind. That goes down in a sack fumble. And then the third one is a couple games ago, he's scrambling, gets the first down, and then fumbles at the end of the run. He can't do that. So Daniel Jones, hey, what he's going to try this week is just to hold on to the ball with two hands. But he's got some good company because you know who has the Giants career record for fumbles? Eli Manning. Well, maybe Eli will hopefully pass along to Jones what he's learned not to do. Eddie in California, you're on the fan. Hi, Daniel. How are you doing? Good. How are you? Good. Um, this Raiders-Jets matchup is pretty intriguing. I, I You know, a 6-4 team versus a 2-8 team Three. usually isn't. Three and seven, you know, close enough. All right, three and seven. I missed one. <laughs> um, you know, usually they're not that interesting, but this one is just because I'm I'm curious to see how the Raiders do. How's the weather there? Oh, the weather gonna is going to be less than fifty degrees and rainy, and that's not good for Derek Carr. It's not good for a West Coast team. No. Period. Yeah. Um, the thing about the Raiders though, they're playing really hard, and like they went to a through a stretch this year earlier in the season where they weren't home for five weeks in a row. Right. Because they had that London yep. game, mm-hmm. but it was at, at Minnesota, at Indy, the Bears, at Green Bay, at Houston. That's a murderous stretch, and they'll still be six and four. Um, you know, yeah, it's a good point. They're playing super hard for Gruden. Multiple different time zones too. I mean that that has that takes a toll on you whether you you want to admit it or not. Yeah, and I'm, I mean I'm pulling for the Jets because I can't stand the Raiders. Because, <laughs> you live well, in California. If you, lived, if you lived among Raider fans, you'd know why. But. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I, I think the Raiders will pull it out, but I, it's it, being that it's going to be cold and rainy, it's uh, going to make it interesting. So I'll be pulling hard for the Jets for sure. Yeah, so. and I, I think, Eddie, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. I think he calls every week. Eddie, um, I think the Jets are going to pull this one out. And and that is going to just further divide Jets fans. I mean, I'm under the impression that the Jets can't even lose right. I mean, really. The Jets can't even lose right. That's how I see it. Although other people can see it as well, they they beat a, a contending team. Like they must be doing something right. Yeah, well, maybe. Joe and Ramsey, you're on the fan. Yeah, thank you for taking my call and wish you a happy Thanksgiving. You too. Uh, I have a question on the Jets. I believe the uh, future of the Jets is in the GM. Yeah. Uh. And I don't think he would agree to a six-year deal unless he knew he could do something with the Jets. I'm sure he researched the Jets and their operation and the scouting on the team before he made his decision. And I don't think uh, 
the Johnsons will let him go after three years, only in like three, three more years of a contract. Yeah, I mean, Joe, thanks for the call. I, I think that that great uh, that that their GM, the Jets, is going to be a pivotal point. The Jets are at a breaking point, and and they have to hire the correct personnel. And I think Joe Douglas is is that guy. I mean, although he he swung and missed on the Khalil deal, that rhymed, didn't it? Swung and missed on that, but who could have predicted that? I, I mean, I think that. I just wish that the Jets would have done it sooner. I mean, why didn't he get the chance to to pick out of the draft this year? I mean, I, they did it backwards, man. They let McCagnan pick the draft class, which we know uh, Mike McCagnan, his, his draft record is absolutely abominable. We knew that. I mean, anybody, everybody, anybody and everybody can hit on a first-round draft pick, mostly. I mean, especially when you're picking in the first, I don't know, five picks pretty much every single time. I mean, you, you can't miss on the, the guys like Jamal Adams. You can't miss on guys like Quinn and Williams. You can't miss on guys like Sam Darnold. You know? But, but when you look back at, at his draft class, other than that, I mean, let's let's go 2016. Let's play who's still in the NFL or not. You got Darren Lee first overall. He didn't work out. I just scrolled down. 2016, pick that one. Darren Lee, not in the NFL. I mean, he, just, he didn't work out in New York. Christian Hagerberg, not in the NFL. I mean, you look at uh, guys like Peak, Sharon Peak, seventh round, nothing. That is where Bryce Petty, Lorenzo Malden, think about all these guys. Jason Morrow. Dexter McDougal. I mean, these are all McCagnin guys. And, oh, yeah, this is a good one. IKM Kali, whatever that guy's name is. Th- that, Geno Smith, D. Milliner. I mean, these are all McCagnin guys, and they are obviously not good. That's where you need to be good in the draft. I would be interested to see how Joe Douglas fares in the later rounds because we obviously know that the season ended today. The Jets are getting the fifth overall pick. And, Maybe they're hoping that the teams in front of them will need quarterbacks so that the defender from from Ohio State will, will fall to them. I don't think he will. So then what do you do? Well, I think the Jets need a cornerback. I think the Jets need, these are premium positions, cornerback, edge rusher, and offensive lineman. And I've always said I think they should go the Tennessee model and pick it, and the Giants too, pick an offensive lineman in the first round. It worked for Tennessee Titans. It worked. Unfortunately, they just don't have a, a real, real strong quarterback to play behind it. But it worked when they picked who Jack Conklin in the first round, and uh, the other guys escaping me. Uh, but they were both both first round picks. That's the direction that the Jets and Giants need to go in this draft. If, of course, the best player in the draft doesn't fall to them, which he might not. And also, not to mention the fact that the Jets need a wide receiver that can catch contested balls. Because I'm tired of looking at Robbie Anderson, who flails at, at a contested ball. He catches it, last I checked, 12.5% of the time. He's, he's catching contested balls. That is not helping your rookie quarterback or second-year young quarterback in Sam Darnold. More your calls after the break, 877-337-6666. I'm Danielle McCartan on WFAN Radio, New York. 
Hey, and I'm Danielle McCartan, back with you guys on WFAN Radio, 101.9 FM, 660 AM. Uh, this is McCartan After Midnight, everybody, and we are looking at a football Sunday. Don't forget, we are less than 12 hours away from both the Jets and the Giants NFL action this week. Jets are hosting the Raiders, as you know, and the Giants have already flown out and landed in Chicago, and they're set to take on Chicago Bears. And when you looked at the, the NFC East between last year and this year, even still, you just wish the Giants were a little bit better than they are. No one was expecting the Giants to be 2-8 and eight at this point in the season. I don't think anybody did. But you're looking at the NFC East, as I am right this second. The Cowboys sit at 6-4 and four atop the NFC East with a record of 6-4. and four. Eagles are 5-5. Five and five. They're in second place. And the Giants and Redskins, you could pretty much forget about it. This division was wide open coming into play this year. It was. And things just didn't fall away for the Giants this year. And it's unfortunate because it is so wide open. Still, even. This is not a runaway for the Dallas Cowboys. Although, after you know the first couple of weeks of the season, you know those insufferable Cowboys fans. You know those. You know one or two of them. They, they were gloating that the Cowboys were going to go on to the Super Bowl. Well, if they were to do it, they're going to have to do it the real hard way, especially at 6-4. and four. Let's head out to Queens. Alex, you're on the fan. Hey, uh, you know, when I look at a Super Bowl MVP quarterback in Nick Foles, who was the Eagles' backup, mm-hmm. and the last two years he's won five playoff games with the same exact team that has zero playoff wins with Carson Wentz. And the reason I bring that up is when you pay a guy $138 million like they did with Carson Wentz, even though he's never won a playoff game, and the same exact team is 11-1 and in their last 12 starts without him. As an athlete, as a player, how are you supposed to feel when you see this guy? Because they're playing for their livelihood, too, and they want money for themselves. Those They're playing for their contract. And they see this guy making all this money and more money than them, even though they play better without him. So they're giving this guy money to bring the team down and make everyone worse. How are you supposed to respect a player like that? And my concern is every week there's a different thing coming out negatively from that locker room, whether it's guys dropping balls, whether it's anonymous sources, whether it's guys missing practices. But everyone else on that team is getting blamed. You know, guys, players are getting run out of town. Players are, the fans are ripping them, even though those same players have five playoff wins and are 11-1, and one, including winning a Super Bowl, without Carson Wentz. And with him, they went 5-6 and six last year. They're 5-5 five and five this year. And he's getting all the money, and he's not getting blamed. And I don't understand, because I, I talk about chemistry. You see the Patriots, year after year they win, because obviously Belichick, but also the what Brady brings from an intangible standpoint. And like you said, the Giants had an opportunity this year at least to be in the conversation, to at least have meaningful games at the end of the season. Mm-hmm. But to me, the biggest concern when I look at this NFL in general is people don't bring this up, is how a guy is single-handedly destroying an NFL franchise in Carson Wentz. This is a guy that was supposed to be a Super Bowl team this year, and he's taking over for Nick Foles. They got rid of Nick Foles, who won the MVP, Super Bowl MVP, and they're 5-5, five and five, and this guy has never even won a playoff game, and that same team without him has five playoff wins. And everyone blames the rest of the team, even though he's the problem. I think there's... Uh, Alex, I appreciate the passion there on the phone call. I think there was there, there's a lot that's going on in Philadelphia that you can't really just blame it on, on one guy. And when you look at the Eagles' odds to win the Super Bowl before the season started, 
Yeah, I mean, they they had the fifth best odds to win the Super Bowl this year. Instead, they're sitting at 5-5. Five and five. Just if you're curious, the Patriots had the best odds. This is before the season opened. Patriots had the best odds. Chiefs, second. Saints, third. Rams, fourth. Eagles were fifth. And we see it all the time here, especially in New York, when, when the, the guy gets the big contract, you expect the wins. And now, the, the, whether it's deserved or not is a different conversation. But when you look at the amount of NFL passes dropped, right, and I'm not trying to deflect it off of, of Carson Wentz because obviously as a quarterback, you're in charge and you have you have to take ownership of what's going on with your team. However, when you look at passes dropped, the New York Giants are ranked sixth in the NFL with most pa- sixth most passes dropped. And then come the Philadelphia Eagles at, at seven. Most passes dropped. Um, so clearly the wide receivers aren't pulling their weight either. And, w- and it's particularly disappointing because when you looked at the Eagles, they're, they're fifth best odds to win the Super Bowl. And Vegas is rarely, you know, wrong. But you also looked at coming into play this year, their strength of schedule. I mean, they have one of the easiest schedules, the Philadelphia Eagles, based on the winning percentages of the teams from last year. They had they had one of the, the easiest schedules, the Eagles. And by the way, so did the Bengals, Giants, and Jets. So it, it doesn't, you know, all this preseason stuff, it doesn't ever matter, really, because you have to play the game. Things happen during the course of a season, and you just have to play the game. And unfortunately for for the Carson Wentz, the, the big paid man down there in in Philly, it's uh, it's not working out for him, and it's not working out for them. And we could say the same of John Carlos Stanton in, here in New York, right? I mean, it's not really working out for him either. Yet, at least anyway, he's got the huge contract, and what you know, it kind of rubbed me the wrong way about him. Was that that video TMZ captured him wherever he was in California, wherever he looked looked great? And they asked him, you know, what TMZ Sports, I think it was, asked him what would he like the Yankees to see in do in the in the off season. They asked him about the pitchers. Oh, he said, I wanted to sign both of them, Garrett Cole and Steven Strasburg. Oh yeah, really? With with what money? Are you going to take a pay cut to do it, buddy? You're the reason why they can't sign maybe even any of the two of them. With that smug smile. Oh, yeah, both of them. Yeah, really? Both of them? Jeff, in Fairview, you're on the fan. Danielle, how are you? Good, how are you? Great. Uh, Okay, I have a point on the Jets and a question on the Mets and a question on uh, a college football game next. Okay. Hopefully, I know you're short on time, but I'll I'll be (laughs) quick. All right, let's go. All right. (laughs) The hat trick. Uh, (laughs) The light bulb went off in my head. When your guest Adam said, you know, what was his last name? Adam Hill from the Las Vegas okay. Review Journal. Yeah. It was a good interview, by the way. Thank you. When he said Derek Carr is now in the second year with the same office system, mm-hmm. that's going to be Sam Darnold next year with Adam Gaze. Now, you know, I, I'm not crazy about Adam Gaze. Nobody is. But in fairness to the guy, there was a lot of injuries. There was the mono. There was this. There was that. So mm-hmm. I'm excited to see that next year. I mean, and that's the first time he's going to be in in Sam Darnold in a two con, you know a consecutive uh, offense two years in a row. Exactly as a pro so, anyway. So I'm looking forward to the game today. 
but you are gays. Nobody likes him. I understand that, but he, he, he I, I give Christopher Johnson credit for sticking to his guns. All right, on the Met. Are you happy that they got the the lefty uh, Shreve, the reliever? Yeah, you know. And the, yeah, I look. Yeah. Okay, go ahead. No, yeah, I I kind of like Jason Shreve. I mean, yeah, he he's he's a good get. He, he's tried and true, and in, in, he's not an unproven commodity. He does have MLB experience, so yeah, I mean, I do like it, and I and I like that they're being aggressive in the Mets and, and shoring up yep. that bullpen, which has been absolutely terrible. I mean, let's be honest. So oh I yeah, like them. Yeah, man, I, I like it too. And the last but not least. If I'm a Michigan fan, mm-hmm. if somehow they upset Ohio State, mm-hmm. number two, you think they'll jump to a playoff spot? Probably not, but I'll listen to your call and have a great uh, Thanksgiving. <laughs> you too, Jeff. Thank you. <laughs> uh, let's be honest. I don't think the Michigan Wolverines are going to beat the Ohio State Buckeyes. I-, I just don't think so. Ohio State's undefeated, and I-, I don't. I just don't see it. I mean, if they do, good for them. They'll probably move up in the polls. I just I just don't see it happening. Ohio State's just too good, man. And I think I think they're coached better. I know there's some things with Urban Meyer. I just I just think they are a, a better coached team. But that I mean again, number two Ohio State Buckeyes at number twelve Michigan Wolverines, and we could talk more you know at the end of this week because I'll be on Saturday morning before this game, so we could talk more about that if you wanted to at that point. But um, my initial thoughts are that Ohio State's just going to run the table. That's what I think. And uh, speaking of running the table, uh, I don't think either New York team, football anyway, I'm talking New York metro area team. We're not including the Bills in this, but I don't think either team, Jets or Giants, are going to run the table tomorrow. I think the Jets are going to have a very low-scoring, sort of hard-fought game. I think there's going to be a ton of turnovers, but I don't really think anybody's going to be able to capitalize on them. You heard it in the interview I had with Adam. I think the score prediction for the Jets, mine anyway, is going to be Jets 17, Raiders 14. Jets can't even lose right. And that's gonna that theme is going to continue. And for the Giants, I'm not ready to reveal exactly the score prediction yet, or, or should I? Ooh, we really didn't get into talking much about the Giants yet, so I'm going to wait on the score prediction for the Giants. We talked a little bit about Daniel Jones and his fumbling. I also want to talk about the offensive line, obviously, for the Giants. I want to talk about the Giants' defense and the standout that I told you was going to be the standout. And we can do that right now. Giants' defense, the standout who I warned you and told you about, Corey Ballantyne. Told you. 23 years old. Sixth round pick. I knew it this summer. Even over the summer, his teammates were quietly talking among themselves about this guy's potential. And guess what? Maybe the Giants are listening to me here on McCartan After Midnight because Ballantyne went from playing one total defensive snap in his first active five games. Then he missed two due to a concussion. And during that time, he said he was absolutely buried and focused on his, his study book, uh, his playbook, studying his playbook. Sorry. Over the last two games, he's been given a starter's workload. He averages at that point 48 and a half defensive snaps per game over the last two. That's a lot. That's significant. And in those two weeks, his assignments were Randall Cobb, Jamison Crowder. For a rookie, that's a tall task for a rookie. Ballantyne allowed seven catches for 67 yards, only 10 targets. I mean, I, I, 67 yards is pretty good. Not the 70% catch rate, but the 67 yards is pretty good only. Michael Thomas said of him, I love the way he has paid attention to detail. 
His notes and meetings have been great. If the coach calls on him, he's ready to answer the questions and he knows his stuff. And the most eye-opening part about him, the best part about him for me, is his mental approach to the game. Because he said himself that I'm asking for help from all the guys and taking it upon myself to go through situations in my head, motions and things that could happen in the future, plans, plan before they happen, and that rolls over onto the game. I was making an effort not to zone out, even if I wasn't playing, which I think is kind of funny. But I, I was telling my team this year, I'm reading this book on the mental approach to the game of baseball. And one of the most transformative things for the pitchers discussed in that book, big name pitchers, is that they have like a psychological coach sitting there in a dark room with them before the game starts, and they're going through mental points of attack. What happens if? If this, then that. And it's a mental thing. It's like a mental VR type of type of thing. I think that is invaluable. And many pitchers kind of, according to the book, figured it out like not too late, but kind of late. And for, for Corey Ballantyne to have it down now as a 20, what, 23-year-old rookie speaks volumes about him. The kid's going to be good. And I'm, I told you that in the beginning of the season. I'm, I'm continuing it now. I'm telling you, he's going to be great with that approach. More your calls after the break, 877-337-6666. I'm Daniel McCartan on The Fan. Sports Radio 1019 FM and Sports Radio 66 WFAN. And hello again, everybody. I'm Daniel McCartan here on WFAN Radio on Super, uh, Super Bowl, <laughs> on Football Sunday. Getting ahead of myself here. November 24, 2019. We've talked a lot of football in this rainy, rainy New York City, lower Manhattan more specifically. Uh, we talked a lot of Giants, a lot of Jets. We had Adam Hill on from the Las Vegas Review Journal. He um, helped us preview the, the Raiders-Jets game coming up. Um, there, I still obviously have, have some more on that, so if you guys want to talk about that, it's 877-337-6666. Give me a call. Let's talk. But in the meantime, I would kind of like to do a little bit of baseball. Um, if you don't mind, because obviously baseball is America's game, and obviously that one of the, there is a huge cheating scandal still going on in in baseball, and there's a lot to talk about with it. You got the the Houston Astros. It it it's beyond what was originally reported, okay? Because now, in addition to hitting the the garbage can with with the bat. Using, which goes off of using cameras to steal signs, right? It 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 has now evolved into players being asked about buzzing. You know what that means? I'm sure you've seen the videos. I forget which, who posted it. Either Wild, Max Wildstein or, or John Boy, one of the two of them, posted the, the little band-aid like wearable sticker that was on on the batter's finger. And when he swung, it came flying off and hit the catcher in the, in, the, in the face mask. Okay, this is beyond hitting a bat to a garbage can. It's buzzing devices. It's earpieces, pitch picking algorithms. I mean, th- this this is this is like counting cards in blackjack. And reports are that players who might have violated league rules have been told by MLB officials that they can expect leniency in exchange for answering questions truthfully. So they are hoping 
that they're going to be answering questions truthfully. So if there's a lot of suspensions handed down, I'm looking at their schedule in 2020. The Mets get to play them on uh, Tuesday, April 7th, Wednesday, April 8th. And the Yankees don't see them until May 15th. <laughs> so the, first, the Mets play my brother's birthday, and Yankees play them on my birthday weekend. Um, and, and that's that's significant because the Mets could be, wouldn't that be a storyline? Carlos Beltran suspended, right? And then the Mets play his Mets, his current Mets, play his team that that's the reason why he was suspended. I mean, the impact of this cheating scandal on baseball as we know it, I mean, we are on the precipice of something here. I mean, we can all agree that that technology has advanced well past this traditional, I'm going to steal your sign because, you know, you, you yank the brim, brim of your cap before you pitch a slider and you sniffle before you pitch a, a, a curveball. I mean, we're, we're beyond that. We're, we're using telescopic lenses and cameras to steal signs. I mean, that's flat-out cheating. That's not – last week we talked about gamesmanship versus cheating. And I think Bill Belichick has been accused of both and, and maybe sort of even guilty with, you know, Spygate. But he also has gamesmanship. And this man, this is just this is just cheating. So I mean, this can go in a few different directions. I think, I mean, I came up with three, and you guys can obviously give me your opinions too uh, on the phone lines here. But I think that the MLB to to can do a whole swing, and they probably won't. But I'm just saying this could be a possibility where the MLB will allow just everyone to do it, legalize the use of outfield cameras. Because I think this is, I think, way more prevalent than just this one Astros incident. I mean, did you see the video of Christian Yelich, too, looking into into uh, into right field? Steps out, looks into right field. For what reason? And jumps right back in. So I think this this is well beyond the Astros. I think they're just the ones dumb enough to get caught. Maybe not dumb, maybe just arrogant enough to get caught. What else you can do? I think I like this way the best. I think you can just change the way that the signs are given. And forget about the pitcher and catcher, you know, the catcher painting his fingernails and putting it down between his legs. I just don't think that is going to be or should be the way moving forward. I think that might be out. Because how can you really now be sure if 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 the team is cheating or not? So I think that MLB, each team should... Now introduce a new coach that's going to sit in the tunnel and give the pitcher and catcher through an earpiece the type and location of the pitch. That way, nobody could even possibly see or hear the pitch selection. Unless, of course, the room is bugged. (laughs) Then you got another issue. But, I mean, think about it. How do football coaches get their, their play selection to their quarterback? I mean, it's very rare where a quarterback will call his own plays. Really? And how, how does it happen? Well, I've seen it. I've seen it with my own eyes. There's a little bitty microphone put in to, I've seen it happen in Daniel Jones's helmet. I watched the guy do it. Hook it up uh, on a frequency, and, and everybody can communicate through an earpiece where he can just listen. He can't speak back. He can just listen. 
And that's the way signs are given in football, aren't they? You're not having a coach on the sideline holding up cue cards anymore or or making hand gestures anymore. No. Football has evolved with the time, and I think it's time for baseball to do the same. And then, obviously, it goes without saying that the MLB needs to penalize this team so harshly that no other team would even think to do it. But you know it's going to happen. People are going to test limits. That's what human beings do. I think for me, take away draft picks. I think also suspending players, obviously. That goes without saying. The ones that are directly involved, which, I mean, <laughs> what do you do if, if there's no team? It's got to be like rolling suspensions maybe. And if the team does in fact go over the luxury tax, you make them really, really pay double, triple, quadruple what that luxury tax would be. And I, I thought of another idea too. You, you assemble like a little a little squad of, you know, maybe the head umpire, um, maybe uh, a player from each team, and then a former player. And what the the purpose of those people is, is to check quality control, quality control the uniforms, quality control the stadium, check for cameras, check for vantage points. I mean, I know that's an expansive task. I don't think that would happen, but for me, I think that might be the only way you can ensure that there is a pure game going on, or you just change the way signs are given. Pat, what do you think? I think that that I think that the baseball should go by way of football and put a coach in the ear of both a pitcher and catcher. And I know it goes beyond that too, because I know the fielders also set up according to the pitch selection. But there's got to be something done. Yeah, it's tough, and you know, because then you get into the whole question of if you got if you're getting it relayed to the catcher, that's one thing. But then the pitcher. You know, are they going to wear like an earpiece or something like that? I mean, that's, I don't think you'll see that. But I think it's just more the fact of preventing, you know, the, the technology, preventing a camera being used to relay signs because I, I just think that's ridiculous. And you're right, it, it would be an expansive task to check that there's no, you know, cameras in the, in the center field wall and then, you know, what are you going doing? You're going and investigating every single seat in the stadium. So, yeah. uh-huh. I mean, it's, it's a tough, it's a tough situation. That's why there's this headline is going to continue throughout the offseason. But there's no simple solution. I think the fact is, though, it's just finding a way to make sure that the game is being played pure. And, and I think that, the, you know, the thing that's happening now in the offseason with this is going to probably do a lot to prevent some teams from doing this in the near future, at least. And I just think, too, that why didn't MLB take care of this when it, when the Yankees first brought it up. What was it, 2017, I think. The Yankees brought it up with the whistling that was going on, which now it's all coming to the forefront. I mean, I mean, you can't ban a team from playing in the postseason. That's, like, just ir- irrational. You, you can't do that. And then it punishes the fans. And the fans had really nothing to do with it. And, and like you said, Pat, preventing it is the best tool that MLB can do. And, and that's unfortunate, actually. Because there is no way to, to truly and totally prevent it from happening. And I, my worry for baseball, the game, is that if they're found guilty, which I do think they are, at every level, I think this just might have spurned a new generation of just dishonest people. 
that are now managers. I mean, obviously A.J. Hinch, but Alex Cora was also involved. He was the bench coach when it was going on. You got Carlos Beltran, who was a player on the team when it was going on. Cora's managing the Red Sox. Beltran's managing the Mets. And now, the other thing is, too, like, yeah, I don't know, like, watching this, how many players are sitting home, like, thinking of, like, ways that they, they can get ahead, get an edge. And it's just not right. And this is way different. And, and it, it just doesn't affect the batter. And some people, I heard some arguments like, oh, well, you know, it doesn't really help the batter that much. You still have to hit the ball. Oh, well, really? Oh, have you ever stepped into a batter's box? Because it eliminates two, It eliminates one of the two things. As a batter, you're looking for location and you're looking for speed. And if the sign is being relayed to you, even if it's just what we thought in the beginning that it was, what is it was just the speed that was being related, that eliminates one of the two things that you're looking for. If you know a changeup is coming, you're not sitting on the fastball. If you know for sure the changeup is coming, you're not sitting dead red. You're going to keep your hands back and, and poke the ball into play. And now, as Max Wildstein's videos, and maybe he's listening again this week, it was it was deliberate. It was like, I forget what exactly it was, but two hits on the garbage can was a curveball. Three was a changeup. None was a fastball. And if you know exactly which pitch is coming, I mean, that's just brutal, man. And that only doesn't, doesn't help the batter, you know. That also helps the base runner. Because as a base runner, if you, if you hear no hits on the garbage can and you know a fastball is coming, well, you're probably not going to run on that pitch. But if instead you hear three hits and, a, and you know a changeup is now coming, well, obviously you got a better chance of making it to first base on a changeup than a fastball. You're going to take your chances on that pitch. And that puts runners in scoring position, you know, from first to second, even second to third. That's like the prime scoring position, third base. And obviously that puts runs on the board. So you got to keep thinking of it more as a whole. Who else does it affect? You know, it affects the the batter, of course. But it also affects the base runners. Knowing when to steal and when not to steal. And on which pitches to go and which pitches not to go. And that puts the, the fielders at a distinct disadvantage. Distinct disadvantage. Right off the bat. No, no pun intended there. So the repercussions for this, I mean, first of all, the effect of it is far and wide. And I think everybody in the MLB is happy that the Nationals were able to overcome all this and still beat them this year. Even Mets fans, I think, can, can rejoice in that simple fact that the cheating Astros didn't get too far. Well, they didn't win at all this year. And, and the scope of this, I'm telling you, is we are just scraping the ice, the top, tip of the iceberg with this. And I think it's going to have ramifications for Carlos Beltran and his Hall of Fame candidacy, which we can talk about coming up in a little bit. Also got um, some new Wilson Ramos quotes on what he thinks about Noah Syndergaard and what he's been doing to, to better his defense. And of course... The Yankees and Jacoby Ellsbury are obviously splitsville. More your calls after the after the update here with Marco 877-337-6666. I'm gonna pass it over to you, Marco. 
And I'm Danielle McCartan, back with you guys on WFAN Radio. This is McCartan. Now, I guess we'll shift it into McCartan in the morning here. And we got two NFL teams here in New York that are on the slate for 1 p.m., which I hate. You know, we're going to be flipping back and forth between each game. Can't get into either of them. I'm not a Red Zone fan. You guys are probably laughing at me if you are. Jets are sitting at 3-7. and seven. Giants, no better, at 2-8. and eight. We around here have celebrated five football wins through two teams in New York City. In and around New York City. Only five wins. And I guess everybody could be looking forward to the draft. And each team, each of our teams getting a, a, a top pick in the draft. Pretty much yet again. Jets are t- welcoming the Raiders. They're taking on the Raiders here at MetLife Stadium. Giants are traveling to Soldier Field. One of the most iconic fields, really. I've driven past it, actually. And when I went to Chicago to do my White Sox stadium tour, that was number, I think, 14 or 15 on the list at that point. Um, I mean, you just, I, I didn't expect it. it. It looks like a Roman Coliseum over there, right on the water, too. I, I totally didn't expect that. Tony, in Providence, you're on the fan. Good morning. Excellent job. And um, I, I don't want to talk football, but yes, obviously the Houston Astros is a big story. Uh, and, and, and baseball has come on harsh on them. But I mean, the main reason my call was about football. A lot of good games this week. Um, and um, I'm really uh, feeling bad what happened to the quarterback of the Steelers. Um, the NFL investigated and there was no uh, racial slur. But right. I just thought he was trying to deflect it at the last minute. I mean, the timing was suspect at best. Yep. And um, I think it was awful. I, I don't know. We would have to find um, a couple thousand dollars. To, um, so, uh, but, and they play again next week. So, but I just thought it was just bad. Um, you know what we did? You're losing your cool. Take um, a moment and say, I made a mistake. I won't happen again. But when you start going in that road, it's very dangerous and bad, and there's no need for it. And most fans see right through that, my friend. Uh, it was just awful. I don't know. It was very awful to see that. And I'm looking forward to the games this week. A lot of good games, huh? Green Bay, San Francisco looks good. Um, so many good battles. Seattle. Um, Philadelphia, there should be some good games this weekend, huh? Yeah, and, and um, Tony, thanks for the call, and I see that you didn't include any of our Jets or Giants in that good game slate. That Miles Garrett thing you brought up, he, Tony just took us around each league and the biggest stories in each league. Miles Garrett, man, what's wrong with him? First of all, you're going to salt the guy on the field. Right, you're gonna you're gonna literally assault him on the field. You're gonna get fined forty five thousand six hundred and twenty three dollars for it, and then you're gonna get suspended the rest of the season, six games. It's gonna cost you one point one three nine million in lost pay. It's basically half your salary, and then the Browns could also pursue partial reimbursement of your five point. $1 million signing bonus. I mean, Miles Garrett, what is wrong with you, man? And by the way, he lost $21,000. for He had two roughing the passer penalties against the Jets. He lost $21,000 for each of them. And then he got a 
$11,000 fine for hitting tight end uh, Delaney Walker and the Titans. Right in the face mask with an open hand. This man needs help. This man needs, uh, first of all, anger management issues or some sort of counseling for that. This is, there's no behavior. That is unacceptable behavior for a man on a football field. I think everybody can agree with that. That helmet is so heavy, and to get cracked over the head with it, I mean, the NFL football helmet, average weight, just looked it up, six pounds. Imagine going to the gym, picking up like a six-pound dumbbell, and just whacking it at someone's skull, unprotected. That's just reprehensible. And then Mason Rudolph said he's not going to file charges. Well, you know what? I would have. And you know what else I would have charges filed charges for now? After this new development, like, oh, by the way, this is Miles Garrett. Oh, by the way, he uh, he he sl- he uh, hurled a racial slur at me, and that's what made me so mad. Oh, really? Come on. Timing, as Tony just said, timing was absolutely suspect. Kids in my class say that was sus. Yeah, it was. And by the way, there were all kinds of uh, witnesses on the field for both teams. At this point in time, not one of them has confirmed that a racial slur was even uttered. Miles Garrett, take a piece of that humble pie this Thanksgiving. Due to time, get yourself some help. Mental help, too, for making up that, that defamation of character. Against against Mason Rudolph. That see, that's why. I, and I thought I was being crafty. And I know there's a lot of police officers listening right now. I thought I was being crafty because listen, if you're Mason Rudolph, can't you file charges against him? And then eventually, doesn't that lead to like a restraining order? And then eventually, doesn't that mean that Miles Garrett can't play when your Steelers take on those Browns? Hmm? I thought I was being crafty, but. My cousin, who's a police officer, <laughs> said that doesn't really exactly, you know, work like that. And he said, because, you know, when would you walk down? The NFL plays by a different set of rules. So when would you actually walk down the street and just pummel somebody? You know, I said, oh, well, yeah, you got it. You got it right. Yeah, I guess you're right. <laughs> but as far as Miles Garrett, the guy needs help on, on his anger issues, clearly, and his ability to control his, his, himself, his actions. And two, at this point, maybe you need some mental help, too. You can't just blindly accuse somebody of doing that. And so this week, I, I, I took to Twitter again, and I was like, listen, I need some help. I play in a free league, fantasy league, and I, I've been on like a five-game winning streak, and I know I just jinxed it. I always do do that. But I've been doing pretty well. And my quarterback is Patrick Mahomes. Obviously, I overcame his injury one week with uh, Jimmy Garoppolo. He threw four touchdowns that week. That I look like a genius. <laughs> and then this week, though, the Chiefs have a bye week. So I'm like, man, what do I do? So I looked at the available quarterbacks, and I always like try and look at first who's playing the Dolphins. That quarterback wasn't available. And so I'm like, hmm. If Baker Mayfield's not available, and who really wants Baker Mayfield to begin with? Um, 
who's playing the Cincinnati Bengals. And so I looked at the Cincinnati Bengals because they are, you know, pretty much the worst team in the league. And they're playing, guess who? Our buddy Mason Rudolph and the Pittsburgh Steelers. I mean, that's a no-brainer, right? But can a team... See, this seems like a, like a trap game. If you're in like a survivor pool, I wouldn't pick the Steelers in this game. I would stay away from this game. I loved doing uh, survivor pools. I, but I would... Because there's no way that a team cannot win one single game. Right? So the Steelers... I had Mason Rudolph, and then I took to Twitter because I wasn't sure, and you guys always steer me in the right direction. And uh, I, I, and then I had a choice between Jameis Winston, Mason Rudolph, and Sam Darnold. And you guys talked me out of Mason Rudolph, even though he's playing the Cincinnati Bengals, the winless 0-10 Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, then... The other thing is this, my other cousin, he was here when he was picking his team and his live draft was going on and we were like, we were all hanging out and he ended up, he's from Florida and he ended up picking, uh, what's his name? He ended up picking Jameis Winston as his quarterback and he didn't, he, we were making fun of him because he let Jared Goff go and he picked Jameis Winston, Jameis Winston. We were calling him Homer everything like that. And, you know, I hate those people too that just pick like the home. I pretty much try to stay away from Giants and Jets. Oh, besides the fact that, you know, well, whatever. But he texted me tonight, earlier, at 6.39, and he sent me the standard, the the standings, fantasy points for uh, the quarterbacks. And he wrote, where's Goff? And he got... And then I said, oh, well, why don't you sort it by points per game? So then he screenshot it and sent it back to me. Jameis Winston scores on average 16.4 points a game. And you got to scroll really, really far down. Actually, he's not even on this. Oh, Jared Goff, there he is, 13.6. So after all the, the beating he got from us, maybe Jameis Winston was the right choice? <laughs> I don't know. But then I'm thinking, then I'm sitting there having this whole conundrum. Like, well, maybe, I don't know, because Sam Darnold is seeing things better. He had that, he requested the one-on-one meeting with Adam Gase, which I have a huge problem with, but we'll get to that in a second. The fact, not the fact that the meeting happened, the fact that your 22-year-old quarterback has to come to you to set up the meeting, but we'll talk about that after the next break. But then, so now... He is right about Winston, and that is the reason why I did not pick Jameis Winston. I did not want to have to admit that he's right. So he wanted me to ask you all, ask your listeners again, because I did a poll and everything. It was like 91% of people said they would pick Jared Goff. So my cousin said, ask your listeners again. I wish I bet them all $20 who would have a better season. He'd be, he'd be a rich man. So I wrote, I sent him back a gif of Homer Simpson that said, oh, okay. I said, Homer, that's you. Get it. He didn't answer me. (laughs) Uh. But, you know, Sam Darnold has has shaken the ghosts. He's seen the field better. Um, I mean, over 
since they, when they had that meeting, him and his coach had that meeting, Darnold's got a 66% completion percentage, 783 yards, six touchdowns, and two INTs. And a career high, I know we're talking the Redskins here, but he had a career high four touchdown passes versus them. And the Jets have scored a touchdown in their opening drive in each of the last four games. What does that tell me? That tells me that they have a really good team scripting the plays on those opening drives. And then Adam Gase takes over. <laughs> and and you know what else is pretty cool? If you're a Jet fan versus the Giants and Redskins, again, I know temperate, the two of the worst teams in the league, but Darnold's offense scored a touchdown on every single trip inside the red zone. They were five for five. I think it was five. Five for five. Not even field goals. Touchdowns they scored. And the good news for the Jets later today is that the Raiders actually have a worse pass defense than the Redskins. When I saw that, I was like, Sam's my man. So I ended up going with Sam Darnold on my fantasy team. And if he throws 10 picks, I lose. I'm in like fourth place. But the Raiders' defense is 31st in red zone efficiency, 27th in passing, 23rd in third down effectiveness, 21st in scoring. So the Jets, you're saying there's a chance. Yeah, I'm saying there's a chance. Darnold said, I feel like I'm seeing it really good right now. And if I just continue to do that, continue to put our team in a good position, and if we continue to play with the tempo we're playing at, getting in and out of the huddle, I think we'll continue to play that way. And don't forget that Sam Darnold can beat you with his arm and his legs. And I still haven't given you guys my Giants prediction, doing that on purpose, stringing you along on purpose. Uh, We'll talk more football after the break um, and how the Giants stack up against the Bears today. And how the Jets stack up against the Raiders. Take more of your calls after the break. 877-337-6666. I'm Daniel McCartan on The Fan. Get ready for an NFL Sunday triple header. Today on The Fan, we've got the Giants and Bears at 1. Followed by the Cowboys and Patriots after the Giants postgame show. And wrapping up at 8 with the Packers and 49ers. So make sure you're locked in to catch all the play-by-play. Right here on your flagship station for NFL and Giants football. Sports Radio 1019 FM and Sports Radio 66. WFAN and WFAN-FM, New York. Hey, good morning, everybody. I'm Danielle McCartan, back with you on The Fan. We are rolling to the 6 a.m. deadline of my program here. McCartan after midnight, or McCartan in the morning, either. I like the alliteration on both. Um, I want to just talk some Yankees real quick. That Obviously, you've seen, I'm sure you've seen that the Yankees and Jacoby Ellsbury are Splitsville. It's, it's a messy, messy divorce. Oh, before we do this, quick check-in on Twitter from Chris, he's listening, uh, or has us on, Pat, at the bar at Palazzo at the Venetian in Las Vegas. So, hello out there to Palazzo. We got some love in Vegas tonight. Earlier we had on Adam Hill from the Las Vegas Review-Journal. He's the Raiders correspondent. We talked about the Raiders-Jets game coming up. But the Yankees and, and Jacoby Ellsbury, they are absolute splitsville. I mean, and it's bad. I mean, Jacoby Ellsbury appeared in 45% of the games for the Yankees 
over the course of his seven-year contract in, in New York. His agent is Scott Boris, so you know. Listen to this. Jacoby Ellsbury got paid $24,918 to not play in a game. That was his rate to not play. Can you imagine if you got paid $25,000 not to show up to work? <laughs> so, lo and behold, the Yankees are seeking, you know, basically what adds up to be $26 million for not picking up the op- option on his contract all and for the, the salary for this season. So, obviously, Ellsbury's going to file a, a counter-grievance that's pretty much already in the works. The Yankees are alleging that he got treatment outside of the norm or without permission by this Dr. Victor Buquette in Atlanta. So I looked up this doctor and what's what he's about. His own website says he has an extensive background of emergency medicine and his unique combination of experience in the fields of environmental, traditional, and alternative medicine places him among the top integrative, integrative physicians in the country. Huh? It doesn't sound like hip or oblique help. And so just so you know, the timeline of this all, if he does file the grievance, could take up to a year to get resolution. So I don't know if the Yankees are going to be seeing that money this season. If, in fact, he does go that route, which it looks like he will. So that leaves the outfield still pretty crowded for the Yankees, with or without Jacoby Ellsbury. You got Stanton. You got Hicks. You got who's injured. I know that, but he's still on the roster. You got Gardner. You got Oh, don't forget Aaron Judge. The Yankees have a crowded outfield. And I don't think adding an outfielder in in the offseason is in any way, shape, or form going to help them. Yankees need starting pitching. Let's head down to Miami. Andy, you're on the fan. Danielle, I want you to know I really enjoy listening to you when I walk my dogs in the middle of the night. I find you really informative. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. I have a couple questions for you about the Yankees. Yeah. Do you think, number one, one of the reasons they're going after El- Ellsbury's money is so they can line line up Gary Cole? Number two, Gary Cole and Ellsbury are both Boris clients. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's going to be a problem? And number three, um, this is something that's always frustrated me. You know, you've been hearing nothing about the bat speed since they made the uh, Andrew Miller heist when they got Clint Frazier, who was the centerpiece of that deal. And, you know, I think Clint Frazier clearly has some defensive deficiencies, and it's obviously a problem if he can't play defense when the Yankees need to rest players and play, you know, a variety of players mm. at DH. But and when they leave them off at, the playoff roster. And, and that's what frustrated me, because Edward Encarnacion yep. was a shell, was yep. a shell of himself. It was clear that he was, you know, he wasn't the same after his second injury. Uh, and the fact that Frazier didn't even get consideration, especially when they need left-handed hitting, I want to know, you know, I get it. You know, when he, when he took the Yankees off the social media, I'm sure that didn't sit well with Cashman and he kept talking or then he wouldn't talk to the, to the media when he had three errors in a game. And mm-hmm. look, I mean, he's immature. He's 22, but the kid, when he was raking, when the Yankees had all those injuries, he was delivering. And you can say whatever you want about Clint Frazier. You can't say he's not an effective offensive threat. And his numbers in the brief time that he actually got to play consistently, 
I thought were outstanding. And unlike Luke Voigt, who sort of came on and was a result of the statisticians, you know, Clint Frazier was expected to be great. And many play, many teams wanted to trade for him, and Cashman considered him a no-trade option. But at the same time he considered him a no-trade option, he didn't even merit consideration. And I understand that Mike Ford played well. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, you had other players besides Tachman and Ford that didn't have near, you know, what do you want to say, the bloodlines, the pedigree for what Frazier was expected. And I get that they thought he was immature, but you want to punish the player to the point where it, it hurts the team. I don't think that's effective. So I guess my question for you, and I really enjoy listening to you, Thanks. is number one, do you think they're going to give Frazier a full-blown opportunity? Do you think they're going to actually, considering this is the first decade they haven't won a World Series, and probably you can trace it back to the last um, World Series winning pitcher they signed for a big money post $100 million plus starting contract would be Sabathia. Yep. And I, don't, I can't think of a big money contract they've signed since then, since Hal's run the team. Are they going to do it with Cole? Because you can trace Cashman. Cashman drafted Cole in the first round. Cashman made offers to the Pirates that were better than the offers got by the Astros. It's sort of been Cashman's white whale. Do you think Hal will approve spending that money? Andy, thanks for the call. I've, I've been taking notes as, as you've been talking, and so I'm going to try and tackle each one of these in succession. Um, first, I love the white whale. Um, and thanks for the call, too, Andy. I appreciate that. Um, the white whale, you know what that it's a reference to? That's a Moby Dick reference. That means, you know, he can never catch the white whale named Moby Dick. So that would be Brian Cashman never av- actually being able to nail down Garrett Cole if, in fact, he doesn't this time around either. Um I think that's an interesting point, and I hadn't even considered this, that Jacoby Ellsbury, which I, I mentioned that he's a Scott Boris client, but then so is Garrett Cole. And I, I, don't, I think that's very interesting because now, to me, that's one more strike against the Yankees getting Garrett Cole. Because if you're Scott Boris, I mean, I know you'd have to sort of kind of keep each player separate, I'm sure, but if the Yankees are trying to stick it to you with Jacoby Ellsbury, then... Why would you want them to to get Garrett Cole? Wouldn't you want to try and convince Garrett Cole that the situation isn't good? You would do everything in your power, I think, not to sign with them, especially if you're going to get the same money elsewhere. So I think that, Andy, just gave a, a vote of Steven Strasburg coming to the Yankees. I mean, the Yankees have to come out of this with the starting pitcher. I mean, don't they? They have to. And, and we're not talking like a Zach Wheeler because he's not a one. Yankees have a lot of guys that are not a one. Let's be honest. Although Tanaka could be. Severino could be. There isn't a clear-cut number one. And that's when we were trying to figure out who was going to be the starting rotation for the Yankees in the playoffs. I mean, it could be any one of those guys. Could be any one of them. So for for the Boris Cole... Ellsbury Triangle, I'd be interested to see how that plays out. Definitely. And as far as Incarnacion, you mentioned Incarnacion. He had, a, he had a monster ALDS. But in the ALCS, I think the number that he batted was .056, I think was his batting error, or 5.8. It's definitely .0 something. Because I remember coming on here and saying, I could probably hit .056. Why don't I be included on this roster? Seriously, I'm being serious. So Encarnacion, he, he did terrible in the ALCS. 
But that you, you you had to have someone else on the bench that could that could take up for him. Now, would you think that Clint Frazier would be that guy? See, the Yankees just need to make a decision on, on what they want to do with Clint Frazier. I know that, you know, I talked to a former Yankee who was still in pretty involved with the team right when Clint Frazier first came up, right when he became, you know, a thing with the hair and all that. And he said, listen, I just wish that that he would just kind of slow his roll, blend in, you know, don't be so outspoken and just, you know, the Yankee way, just just put your nose to the grindstone and just do it. And Clint Frazier just obviously hasn't done that. He's expressed, like you said, his discontent on social media. We, we all know that. But he does have a point. He really does. And I'm not saying you're going to call it, you should call out your management and whatever job that you have on social media for thousands to see. But he does have a point. And the Yankees need to make a decision on him. The best course of action I was thinking about as as Andy was just talking was that I think that the Yankees should put him in a position where he looks outstanding. He looks great. Make other teams bite. And and when he was untradeable not long ago, you say, look, here's Clint Frazier. He's doing great. He would be an excellent addition to your team. And maybe then the Yankees could get something else that they need. Maybe they're not going to get their starting pitcher. Maybe they're going to strike out on the free agent market. Maybe, I, I don't know, maybe they, they go and they get a, a shutdown reliever. I, I don't know. But Clint Frazier doesn't seem to really have a role on this team. And I think the Yankees need to make a decision about him, whether or not they're going to keep him or not. Because the guy's wasting away in the minor leagues. Let's be honest. Clint Frazier is wasting away in the minor league. He's being called up every once in a while. He's he's round one overall pick number five in 2013. He was born in uh, 1994. That makes him 25 years old. The guy's in the prime of his career here. Either you give him a shot or you don't. But I think Hicks being injured, and I can't see Giancarlo Stanton staying in left field. I mean, is this the crossroads where Giancarlo Stanton is going to be one of the the highest paid DHs, like, you know, ever? I mean, if that's what it takes to win, then that's what it takes. But this might be the year where we see Giancarlo Stanton has more time as a DH than as a left fielder. I mean, it, it's just, it has to come to that. Because in the field... He, he, in 2019, he's got a 938 fielding percentage. It's terrible. 938 is not good. Because when you look at other guys, look at other guys that have close to a 1,000% fielding percentage. I mean, if we're talking defense, and Giancarlo Stanton, I mean, everybody thinks he can be the offensive player that he that he once was in Miami. Everybody's thinking about that. But has he shown it? Certainly not in 2019. If you're looking at defensive fielding percentage for Clint Frazier, his is almost 35 ticks higher than Giancarlo Stanton at the major league level. Clint Frazier is a better defender than Giancarlo Stanton. My wish for the Yankees is that they can just find somebody just to take Stanton off their hands. I know that's a lot easier said than done, but 
I'm on the record. I didn't want him to begin with. The Yankees didn't need Giancarlo Stanton to begin with. They had a crowded outfield then. Anchored by, you know, a guy named Aaron Judge. And Giancarlo Stanton strikes out too much. Way too much for my liking. But you guys know me by now. I love the Jeff McNeil types. I love the the Brandon Nimmo types. Uh, Those guys that, that hit for average, get on base. Those are the guys I get behind. I don't really like this this whole launch angle thing. I can't get behind that. I mean, there is a place for analytics in, in baseball, no doubt. But it's not there. And the Yankees have hired a new pitching coach, Matt Blake. He is at the cutting edge. And I love the hire because he's making adjustments to players, pitchers in particular, obviously, about arm slots and this and that. And he got results, man. And this stuff works. But in terms of launch angle and stuff, I mean, John Carl Stanton, he's not the hitter that the Yankees needed. And unfortunately now, they're kind of sort of stuck with him. So we'll reset. 5 o'clock in the morning. More of your calls after the break. 877-337-6666. I'm Daniel McCartan on the fan. Sports Radio 1019 FM. Good morning again, everybody. I'm Daniel McCartan coming to you live from the Mike Francesa studio here in lower Manhattan. Rainy, chilly lower Manhattan. And we are careening towards 6 o'clock a.m. We are in the final hour, so if you would love to get on the phone, it's 877-337-6666. Get your calls in. Pretty much everything's on the table here. Astros, cheating, Yankees, Mets, Giants, Jets, even some Knicks and Nets if you wanted to. Um, do a quick little hit here on the on the Mets and Yankees just to finish up that conversation. Um, hey, listen, uh, baseball I think would be it's going to be a lot more on the uptick here than than the New York football scene is because first of all we're looking at Giants and Jets today and combined they have five wins. The both of them have five wins combined, which is really not good. So to look ahead in football season to the spring and the draft is cool. And also to actually the sport that's played in the spring, baseball. And we just were briefly just talking about the Yankees and their biggest needs and what they should do. Listen, for them, it's for me, it's still Garrett Cole or bust. And then maybe settle for Steven Strasburg. Well, and they're going to have to if he wants to go to them. And then you got Zach Wheeler as an option. I mean, I'm looking for a number one starter for the Yankees. I'm not looking for another guy that maybe could be. That maybe. There's a lot of maybe guys on the Yankees. They need a clear cut. And whether that's going to be Garrett Cole or Steven Strasburg or even Madison Bumgarner. And I think his name kind of gets lost in the shuffle a little bit, Bumgarner, because, you know, Cole has just been so just lights out. So, and then Jake Odorizzi is off the market. He will return to the Twins. So that option is also out. Then for the Mets, I think the biggest, most pressing need for the New York Mets, I mean, come on, it's got to be their bullpen. And they made him the, a deal, what is it, today, earlier today, to get uh, Chase and Shreve. I like the move. He's got MLB experience, obviously. I do like it. Um, and I think with the Mets, you know, the article came out, we talked about it on here. Edwin Diaz says that a shaky 2019 doesn't mean I'm a bad pitcher especially when I've had three great seasons in Seattle. The fourth one went bad, but you just have to continue working so you can get back to that level. 
And he looks like uh, the slider is going to be the key to him. And he's working on that. He's going for more bullpen sessions before spring spring training even starts. And you got to think that Edwin Diaz basically has no value now for the Mets, right? So he needs to get better. And then the Mets can decide, is he going to be that guy for us or is he going to be that guy somewhere else? But right now, you you can't you can't deal him now. You kind of sort of stuck with him. And you got to help him work through it. And there's real optimism surrounding the fact that maybe Carlos Beltran could be that guy. I mean, I, I believe they know each other from the World Baseball Classic and they have a, a, a relationship already. So maybe Carlos Beltran can work some magic for Edwin Diaz. Because the bullpen was the reason the Mets did not make it to the playoffs last year, to the postseason last year. Tom in North Brunswick, you're on the fan. Uh, uh, good morning, Danielle. I agree with you 100%. You know, the Mets, I mean, I, you know, it wasn't the only thing, but it was the ma- major problem. You know, because Diaz had such a dominant year the year before, I'm not sold that he's that that he that he can't pitch good anymore. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was horrible. He had all those home runs, and he looked like he was. Uh, I I couldn't believe how bad he was. Yep. But I remember the year before, he, not only with the saves, he was dominant. So his slider, they said they have to work on that. So I'm, I'm hopeful that he gets back to where he was. But Danielle, the Mets need to make some moves in the bullpen. I mean, yeah, every yeah. single year their bullpen destroys them. Uh, I'm not only talking about a close, I'm talking about middle inning. Yep. I think they're going to put Lugo on starting rotation. Which I don't like. Have, I don't like that idea. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they should have re signed Wheeler, but they're, you know, if the Mets want to win, if they want to get into the playoffs, win a championship, or, you know, be a dangerous team, because they're in a tough division now, they got to start making the right decisions. I know they're close. Their offense was, is a lot better, mm-hmm. and their starting pitching is good, but the, the bullpen, I mean, I don't trust Familia. Um, I know he has, you know, I don't know what's wrong with him, but, uh, and Diaz, we'll, we'll have to wait and see, but, uh, the screener said the chances that he's going to miss the whole year is he's injured or because I, I would love to have Mets sign him, but I, I don't know if he's going to pitch or not. Did you hear anything about uh, that? I didn't hear that's something with his Achilles heel or something, I, but because if he's, if he can pitch, they should go after him. They need another arm. I know Will Smith went to the, uh, Braves or a, uh, he signed with somebody in the National League East. Uh, wait one second. We're just looking up this Patances thing, and Pat's saying it's a torn Achilles. I did not hear that. He's out for the whole year. Yeah. Pat. Wow. Oh, wow. Wow. Well. All right. Well, well then there's I don't that. Know, well, <laughs> and Will Smith is gone, but I know there's yeah, other Smith, other right. relievers. They, they, right. Because uh, you know the. It, it, I, I don't, you know, I'm a diehard Mets fan. Are you a Mets fan? I mean, I, I honestly I root for all the teams. I really do. Yeah, I do. But but but, but if you if you watch if you, you know if you watch or listen to all most of the Mets games, you know they're they're always in the game late in the game. Mm-hmm. They're rarely ever oh, yeah. blowing somebody out. Or, I yep. mean, they're always it's such an important thing. Yep. There is, uh, you know, and I know other teams blow blow saves and all that. But the Mets do I, it I more than anybody else, really. But I mean, you know, they're always in the game, late in the game, and it's so important. Even if they have to move uh, one of their starting pitchers, they have got to fix that bullpen yep. because they're in a tough division, too. they got, uh, you know, mm-hmm. three teams. I don't know about Washington if they're going to lose uh, some of the players, 
But I mean, you know, they, the Phillies should be better. The yep. Braves are not. Yep. So you know, they got to. You know, they can't just keep sitting around. It's, this is a very important part of the season. Have a good day today, and happy Thanksgiving. Too. Thanks, Tom. You too. Yeah, I mean, obviously, the obviously, like he said, the number one reliever was Will Smith, and not only did Will Smith not go to the Mets, Will Smith went to the Braves. He signed a three-year, thirty-nine million dollar deal with the Braves, so that he's out. Another option maybe could be Sergio Romo. He just played for the Twins. Uh, he had a twenty-seven to four strikeout to walk ratio, a little high on the ERA. Um. Sounds like the money would be right. The price would be right. Uh, I just, I do not like the idea of moving Lugo into the starting rotation whatsoever. You need him in the back end of that bullpen. And the Mets are really that close. It kind of annoys me when they say, oh, we need a clear-cut center fielder. Right, well, you need you also need a, a, a bullpen. I mean, come on. You have a center fielder. that it would be fine enough. Fine enough. In Brendan Nimmo, but you have a bullpen that's so deficient that it kept you out of the postseason. Then you got Wilson Ramos too. He's concentrating on his defense. He he said today that he would he is, and he's also not going anywhere because if you look at his offensive production, he's first in batting among catchers. He's first in batting average. This is the in the entire league first in batting average, third in RBIs fourth in on-base percentage, and eighth in home runs. Wilson Ramos has provided the offensive spark for the Mets that, that, that they needed. Now go out and get a bullpen. Brad, in Middletown, you're on the fan. Hey, Danielle, how are you? Good, how are you? Pretty good. First time we ever chatted. Okay. Listen, there's a couple things I want to go over if, if I could have, some, uh, have a little bit of time. Now, number one, I want to do a comparison here between two Baseball players, one in the past and one right now. All right, in 1974, if, I, if that year is right, when the Yankees traded for Greg Nettles, mm-hmm. Greg Nettles was a lefty bat, played third base, and hit with power. But Greg Nettles, for a, 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 a couple years, left third baseman in errors. Now, but yet the Yankees stuck with him. And Greg Nettles single-handedly beat the Dodgers in that World Series with his glove. Now, I'm looking at Clint Frazier. Clint Frazier, when everybody got was getting hurt, and you can quote me on this, he carried that team on his back quite a few games. Got the key hit, got the home run. His only problem is that his glove was on the icky side. That, that could be worked on. If you had the right person to show him what he's doing wrong, make the correction, and see what happens there. Because he is a very good ball player. He just has that one little problem. But so did Nettles. And Nettles made the Hall of Fame. Brad, I appreciate the call. We're kind of up against the break here. but And, and there's also injury concerns with, with uh, Clint Frazier, too, as well. I mean... I wouldn't go as far as comparing him as to a Hall of Fame fielder, um, but the potential is there. And, and if you're right, if the Yankees get the right people to to milk that talent out of him, then so be it. But they also have to make a, a, a plan about him. Is he going to be on the Yankees major league team, or is he going to be traded? Because they're the in between. The guy's wasting away in the minor league system. It's just not fair to them, to him, and it's not fair to the Yankees, and it's not 
it's just not fair. Either you keep him or you trade him. Okay, more of your calls after the break. 877-337-6666. I'm Daniel McCartan on The Fan. Listen to Giants football today at 1 p.m. With Giants game day at 1130. Join Carl Banks, Howard Cross, and me, Bob Papa, for all the play-by-play here on your flagship station for Giants football. The Fan, Sports Radio, 1019 FM and Sports Radio 66. WFAN and WFAN-FM, New York. Wake up, everybody. I'm Daniel McCartan here on WFAN. Come on, let's go. Let's load up these phones, 877-337-6666. You're here. You got me till 6 o'clock in the morning, and uh, time is running thin, so you might want to get on the phone and, and dial and get on hold because we, we have a few calls on hold. Um, the Jets. Let's go back to the Jets and Sam Darnold, who, as you know, if you've been listening, Patrick Mahomes, my my free league fantasy league quarterback, he is has a bye week this week. I was left kind of sort of scrambling for a quarterback, no pun intended. Ended up with Sam Darnold, so hopefully he does well today. Because I, I kind of feel like he will because he had this heart to heart with his head coach. Then he went out on a tear. And what bothers me, and I alluded to it before, what bothers me is that Darnold had to seek out Adam Gase. Darnold. Imagine that. A 22-year-old, second-year quarterback, goes to find his head coach to talk with him, to tell him what he likes and doesn't like. Adam Gase just doesn't get it, man. Take some initiative. Luckily, he's got a real leader in his quarterback that just takes so much of the onus off of him. Because that's since that meeting, Sam Darnold's been 66% completion percentage, six touchdowns, two interceptions, 783 yards. And... I, I came across this. I forget where. I'm sorry, but there's a nice little story from uh, Jordan Jenkins from the the Redskins game. And Jenkins said that after Darnold threw the pick, he got the offense together and was like, "Look, we need to get this thing right." And I just remember looking over, and he got everybody together, and he he got control of that huddle. This is on the sideline. It was one of the first times I looked at him and was like, "Oh wow, he's taking control of this thing, and he's being a true quarterback." He was just on it, and it was a great thing to see. That is awesome. Finally, Sam Darnold's taking the next step with or without Adam Gase. And just real quick, the matchup to watch for this Jets game is going to be the Jets' number one run defense versus Raiders rookie running back Josh Jacobs. He's doing a great job, Jacobs. First-round pick, 24th overall. He's going to win Offensive Rookie of the Year. So um, there isn't like a stat that could say like, okay, when he's over this amount of yards per game, they win. There is no correlation. So... The Jets' defense just has to make the Raiders play to their system to eliminate that running game and to make Derek Carr beat them in the air. It's going to be a sloppy weather game. Derek Carr is a different quarterback in a bad way for him in in this cold weather. Forecast last I checked was rain, 45 degrees, and it's going to feel much less because of a 14-mile-an-hour sustained winds. And the Jets, this game started as a pick Then the Jets became late Friday a three-point underdog. The Raiders are the most penalized team in the league, and Jets aren't far behind. So this is going to be a long, sloppy game. I say the Jets 17, Raiders 14, and that's 1 p.m. from MetLife Stadium. Eric in Ronkonkoma, you're on the fan. Hey, hey, how you doing, Danielle? Good morning. Good, how are you? Good, good. I was just going to bring that up as far as the weather and everything. So I, w- I would think they'd want to try to you know, keep it more run-oriented other than too much Darnold throwing, right? Because, I mean, you know, I mean, he, you know, he has thrown picks. On there, um, 
know, the Raider defense is better than what they've seen the last couple of weeks anyway. Yeah, but the Raiders have a oh. worse pass defense than the Redskins do. And the offensive line is oh, not okay. o- the Redskins the, the offensive line is not opening anything for Le'Veon Bell. So that's kinda why I went that way. Well that's the yeah, and that's that's the other thing I was gonna bring up too. I mean I you know, because uh, it's supposed to be windy also, right? I mm-hmm. believe. Uh, yeah, yep, so it, is, yeah. Uh, it sounds like it's going to be a sloppy game. I think yep. on there. Uh, real, real quick on um, Miles Garrett. And you were talking about it before. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, there's you know, there's an individual who needs help there. The thing I'm worried about is if, if at some point the suspension ends, because I, I I can't see it being a lifetime. Um, you got to worry though. The next time they play each other, you know, if Pittsburgh you know decides to kind of like hammer him down a little bit, uh, you know, because, uh, you know, like, oh, you know, we didn't like what you did, and, and then you came out with the excuse of the, yeah. you know, the uh, the slur and everything. So yep. I'd be a little worried about, you know, them going after him too. So, on a, anyway, you have a good uh, rest yeah. of the weekend there, and enjoy your Thanksgiving. Thanks, so. Eric. You too. I think uh, that's a great point. I mean, obviously, that's in a contact sport, that's a worry, but that's got to come down from the NFL itself. The NFL has to say, listen, and they have to put their best crew, and I know that seems like an anomaly, the best officiating crew, Maybe there might not be one, but they have to put their best crew on that game and say there is going to be no nonsense in this game. And that's the way it's got to be handled. Herman in Stanford, Connecticut, you're on the fan. Yes, uh, good morning. Uh, I, I was calling in regard to your discussion about the Mets. I think we're seeing the same thing for the umpteenth straight year. They sit around and do nothing while other teams pursue free agents. It would really make me feel great if you or one of your colleagues could get this van wagon on the phone and, and just love to talk hard to and, and ask him, when are you going to start getting off your duff and pursuing some free agents instead of letting other teams get them? This happened last year. It's happening now. And the other thing, I know I'm in the minority on this. They should put in a full-scale attack on Mookie Betts. This will bring the fans oh, back, yeah. and oh yeah, I mean, I don't see how they can get away from that. He's going to be a lot of money, I know, but this guy is. This is an opportunity, and if they flub this, I mean, I, I don't know what what what's going to happen after that. Yeah, I mean, thanks for the call, Herman. I'm I'm, I'm thinking like, I don't know. I thought I I thought Todd Frazier was an okay signing. I mean, obviously there were some issues there, but I mean. It's not that Brody Van Wagenen has not done anything. I mean, he went out and, and he got, and I'm not trying to stick up for him, but he got yeah, Wilson Ramos. I mean, there's only so much you can do within one calendar year. This is not a snap-your-fingers immediate rebuild either. You know, he went and, he went and got you uh, Ramos, who's the best hitting catcher in the league. Uh, went and got... Um, Oh, God, what's the third baseman? I can't think. Jed Lowry. He went and got Jed Lowry. He got injured. I mean, there's only so much you could do in one season. And I'm looking at Mookie Betts' market value right now on the website SportTrack. I love this site. He's looking at a 10-year deal for for $300 million. I don't think the the Mets would uh, touch that with a 10-foot pole. 10-year deal? 10 years? And not to mention the fact that he's $30 million a year. I don't think the Mets can afford that. And I agree. I mean, Mookie Betts would bring fans. I mean, this this is, he would be great. I just don't think that the Mets have the means to do it. Yet. 
And just another note on Dylan Patances, and I, I, I looked it up. Andy, Martu- Andy Martino tweeted on uh, November 4th, 2019. He said that the expectation for Dylan Patances is that he will be fully recovered from his Achilles injury and having a normal offseason by December, which is, you know, in a few days, really. Um, so he's expected to hit the market um, at full strength. Oh, that's It was a partial tear of the Achilles. So that's according to Andy Martino. And where Batantis goes, nobody knows. Marty in Westchester, you're on the fan. Yes, good morning, Danielle. I'd like to talk about the uh, Yankees. I think it's very important that they do re-sign Didi Gregorius. Um, you know, he's a team leader, very popular in the clubhouse. He'll be one year removed from Tommy John's surgery. And, Marty, let me uh, stop you right there. Do, do they need him, though? Well, I think if they resign him, that sets up their best possible defensive uh, infield. You don't think that uh, Glaber Torres, who's a natural shortstop, will slide over and LeMay, he will slide it to second base? Gold glove it's possible. winner? possible. What I read in the paper, so a lot of scouts seem to think that Glaber is a, a better defensive second baseman than a shortstop. I don't know. Also, you know, you keep LeMay who at first base, and you have to have, uh, you know, Luke Voigt can be the DH. And, uh, I don't know. I just think that uh, the Yankees have an issue with left-hand hitting uh, besides that. So I don't know. It's, um, you know, I don't. I don't know um, if they put the uh, Glaber at shortstop and put Lemayo at uh, at uh, second. I guess you have a platoon of uh, Ford and Voigt at first. But I don't know how good defensively it'd be at first base. So I mean, I know that they have obviously. Uh, you know, they have uh, things to decide for the next year. But I just think their best defensive infield uh, would be with uh, Didi at short and uh, Glaber at second and keep a shell at third, obviously. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Marty, thanks for the call. And, and obviously, Didi Gregorius' swing is, is built for Yankee Stadium and things like that. So um, I I would love keeping Didi Gregorius. I just don't think that they're willing to give him the money that he that he wants. I think if you were weigh this, think about this, you know, would you rather have Didi Gregorius on this big deal or would you rather come in and get a big-name pitcher on this deal? And I think right now, although I, I like Didi Gregorius as a person, I think you're right. He's a great clubhouse leader. He speaks four languages. I think right now the need for the Yankees is more of a starter pitching. They need a starting pit, pit, a number one starting pitcher. And maybe they don't get one, and maybe then they offer it back to Didi. But I can't see the Yankees coming away from this offseason with the pressure over the years now of not coming away with the starting pitcher. Alan, a new Rochelle, you're on the fan. Good morning. Happy Thanksgiving, Danielle. You too. Thank you. I had the pleasure of speaking with you two weeks ago about uh, Girardi and... Um, Gary Sanchez. Yes, and yes, Gary I remember. Sanchez, yep. you remember that? Thank yep. you very much. Yeah, I do. Today I wanted to talk about, I pitched for the best amateur team in the country back in 75, 6, and 7. I wasn't good enough to make the team in 73 and 4, and that was true. In 74, I beat the Nourishell Robbins, right. and I beat Merle with right. the two best teams. What do you got about the Mets? All right. We're up against the break a little bit. Wilson Ramos and Syndergaard. Yeah. If you're pitching, we had four catchers. Three I loved and one I couldn't stand. I was a rhythm and mechanics expert in my coaching career later uh-huh. in the 90s. Okay? If you have, my, my, my thoughts are this. If you have a catcher that doesn't get along with the pitcher and the pitcher is emotionally weak, 
which the Grom isn't, and Syndergaard is, in my opinion. Mm. You can't pitch to him. I had a catcher that would come out every time I threw two balls, and he said, throw strikes, and you break my rhythm. So that's what I have to say. And breaking a pitcher's rhythm, my rhythm and mechanics pitcher, which I was, if I was in rhythm, I could pitch with anybody in town. But if I was out of rhythm, because the catcher kept breaking my rhythm, and I think that pertains to, if Syndergaard doesn't want to pitch to Ramos, you have a problem. Yeah, Alan, thanks for the call. And and Syndergaard, and what, what Ramos said today was that, that they're just trying to get on the same page. He said the best we can do is just try to talk more, try to be behind the plate more with him, have more communication in the key. That's going to be the key to get better for next season. The more time I'm behind the plate with him, we will feel more comfortable, and I will know where he likes to throw. And that's where you have to leave it because Ramos is going nowhere, Syndergaard is going nowhere. They have to make it work. And you guys are going to make the phones work. 877-337-6666. Daniel McCartan on the fan. Get ready for an NFL Sunday triple header. Today on The Fan, we've got the Giants and Bears at 1, followed by the Cowboys and Patriots after the Giants postgame show, and wrapping up at 8 with the Packers and 49ers. So make sure you're locked in to catch all the play-by-play right here on your flagship station for NFL and Giants football. Sports Radio 1019 FM and Sports Radio 66, WFAN and WFAN-FM, New York. And here we are on a Sunday morning in our last and final, right, Pat? Last and final segment of the show. McCartan, now in the morning, here with you on WFAN. And uh, this is your last chance, last opportunity to load up the calls, 877-337-6666. And you know what? I just realized I never gave you guys my Giants prediction. So if you allow me to do that, those of you guys on hold, I'll do that real quick. Um, but what I'd like to see out of this game, this Giants game, uh, besides besides a win, <laughs> but what I'd like to see is that, listen, the Giants have one of the deadliest running backs in the league in Saquon Barkley and a mobile quarterback. If I'm on the coaching staff this weekend, I'm looking to accentuate that in my game plan. I really want to see that done. Where are the run pass options? Where are the play action calls? Where are the bootlegs? And there's something really interesting I noticed in in my research for tonight's show is that there is a clear-cut line of demarcation for Daniel Jones, the number 35. What does that mean? That means when he throws the ball over 35 times a game, he has 12 touchdowns, two interceptions. When he throws the ball less than 35 or, or 35 times a game, three touchdowns, six interceptions. The psychology of that, I don't know. Maybe if he throws it over 35, it feels like he's got more chances, so he plays looser um, or less than. Maybe he's just trying to force it in. I don't really know, but the, the number 35, Daniel Jones needs to throw it more than 35 times a game. He has it, – it's it's significant difference. 12 touchdowns and two interceptions compared to three touchdowns, six interceptions. Give the guy the ball. Let him throw it because that's that, that's 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 amazing, really. Uh, what else? Um, so, oh, here's another thing. The Giants have given up 12 passing plays or 40 or more yards, the most in the NFL. Maybe good news for them. Mitchell Trubisky has only completed one pass over 40 yards this entire season. Uh, that's exactly where he struggles. 20 plus yards. That's where he struggles, Trubisky. Um, 
And if as long as they can keep the dink and dunk, because he lives in the zone, uh, uh, the zone of line of scrimmage to 10-yard targets. And that's where he's best. He's well above league average, especially over the middle. So if they can just limit that and get a good stop to prevent them from getting getting that last, you know, third down play or even a fourth down play, Giants would be okay, I think. So the Bears are favored by six points in this game. They open the week as eight-point favorites. You ready? This is like a bold prediction here. And I was right the first time I did this. I had a little help from TJ Reeves on that from the Tampa Bay Bucks. But I think the score is going to be the Giants 20, Bears 17. I do think the Giants pull this one out because either the Giants defense comes with a big stop in the final seconds or a missed field goal by Eddie Pinheiro. He's one of the worst field goal kickers in the league. He only made, He's only made 70% of his field goals this season. And where is his trouble? The 40 to 49-yard range. Everybody keep an eye on that. And if this hits again, I swear I'm going to go play the Mega Millions. So I say Giants 20, Bears 17 on a missed Pinero field goal in the 40 to 49-yard range. Book it. Tommy, Pennsylvania, you're on the fan. Hey, Daniel. How are you doing? Okay, how are you? Oh, fair, I guess. Uh, it's my first time I ever talked to you, actually. Oh, well, good. I'm glad you I'll called. Get that out of the way. But, uh, uh, yeah, I have a a question on your opinion also uh, on the Green Bay Packers. Uh, I've been a fan of them for 50 years now, but uh, they're... They're probably everybody's saying that they're probably going to uh, win this game against the Forty Niners. But uh, uh, now Devonte Adams has only been in uh, two games since he's been out uh, for four games, and uh, it's just been—he's uh, doing okay now. I mean, he's back to where he should be, and I was just wanting your opinion on two things: is one number one is, like I said, everybody's saying that they're probably going to um, win this game against the Niners. And number two, if you think that they have the capability of making it to Super Bowl Fifty Four. Hey, Tommy, thanks for the call. Um, listen, this game is going to be must must watch TV. It's got to be the Packers at eight and two at the San Francisco Forty Niners nine and one. I mean, being from around here, we haven't really seen good football this season. Let's be honest. So this game is is really a must-watch. And if the playoffs ended today, this game, Packers-49ers, would be the NFC Championship game. To go to Super Bowl, the Super Bowl in Miami, this will be the game. I mean, you got Bosa on the defensive line chasing after Aaron Rodgers, and we've seen it time and time again, that Hail Mary pass. I mean, this is a classic, classic game. Uh, As far as who's going to win it, uh, I don't know. And I never really stay up long enough to watch the end of that game. You know? So um, I will see the score in the morning, on Monday morning. And San Francisco is minus 3.5 versus Green Bay. I don't know. But this would be an exciting game, especially for those of us who are not uh, used to watching exciting football games around here. So, like I said, if the playoff ended today, if, if the season ended today, we'd have 49ers, Packers in the NFC Championship game. 
And then on the other side, just so you know, we'd have the Patriots and the Ravens for the AFC. Mike in East Rockaway, you're on the fan. How you doing, Danielle? Okay, how are you? The signal's coming in good. I'm in uh, Myrtle Beach. Wow, so, really? Nice. Yeah, Myrtle Beach, South Kakalaki. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I-, I tuned into your show the last 45 minutes. Yeah. I'm a longtime Met fan, Jet fan. Went to Classic Games for the Mets, 69 series when I was 15. Uh, 73 series, Pete Rose, Bud Harrelson fight. Um, you know, you call them, uh, some of the calls before were talking about what the Yankees need, everybody knows. You mentioned it. They need chuckers. That's my expression. They need starting chuckers, left-handed, right-hander. Yep. And if the ratio, Danielle, you know, you you played ball a high level. I played some college baseball. Yep. The ratio of home runs will uh, will be as same. Excuse me. The same as the ratio of strikeouts. You know, if you if you're hitting a long ball, you're going to strike out a lot. Every team needs spray hitters. They hit right. the wall fields. Right. And if not, if not for the Brewers going on that run, I think they won 16 of 18, uh, you know, uh, before they got bounced out. The Mets had a good chance of making the playoffs. Yep. But um, their Achilles heel was, was the bullpen, and let's see if they could solidify that. And last thing, Danielle, <clears throat> uh, that Brown-Steelers game, I've never seen in my 65 years <laughs> Now, uh, horrendous action where the quarterback was lucky he got hit with the open end of the helmet. Yeah. Because if not for that, could have been killed. Yep. And then the, the lineman, great, six days after the fact, he said, oh, I heard a racial slur. Yeah, Come okay. On. Yeah, okay. Right. Yeah. But, Danielle, uh, keep doing what you're doing, and I will be uh, tuned in as, soon, as long as I get the signal down here in Myrtle Beach. Okay, <laughs> great. I appreciate it, Mike. Thank you. Sure. Uh, let's let's really get these in quick here. J- Kevin and Copeg, you're on the fan. Are you going to the uh, Jet game tomorrow? I mean, today. I think I might be going to the Giant game, actually. Wait, the Jets aren't home? No, the Giants are in Chicago. <laughs> I think I might be going to that game. So, no, I'm not going to the Jet game. Uh, I know you've been going to a lot of games lately. Yeah, yeah. Then, you know, that's what, but I'm trying to sleep through the uh, pregame shows. That's why I'm calling you this uh, <laughs> early. I hate those pregame shows. Yeah. So what's up? How about that, the, the Khalil Mack trade? I mean, people were hating on Gruden last yeah. year with uh, the Khalil Mack, and now it's, a, it's with Giants playing the Bears and Jets playing the Raiders. Yeah. What do you think about that trade now? I mean, Khalil Mack, the four and six Bears, and now the six and four uh, Raiders. I know. Hey, Kevin, thanks for the call. We talked to Adam Hill before about that, and everybody thought, including him, and Adam Hill from the Las Vegas Review Journal, obviously, um, he, he said, like, that, listen, I mean, it was crazy when it happened, but guess what? You know who they got back for him? It, correct me if I'm wrong. They got the running back, their Josh Jacobs running back, uh, in in return for him. So f- for the Raiders, it ended up working out. I mean, they have some talent uh, evaluators over there. The Raiders do, and I, I wish that they could send them send them uh, this way to New York. Jeff in Jersey City, real quick. You're on the fan. All right, Daniel. Quick, um, great show always. Uh, Thank you, uh, Matt. Real, real quick. Uh, I don't think they'll make the playoffs until Van Wagen's gone. He's a clown. And he's a loser. And my question for you about the Yankees coming: uh, Lemayu had uh, one of the best at bats I've ever seen. Most clutch in a clutch situation. Yeah, he's and Captain Clutch. Yeah, uh, yeah. And and for uh, all, you know all the crying for the pitching, and they're going to go out and blow a lot of money on Cole. I think they could use, they lost because they didn't have another clutch hitter. They didn't make contact. Is there another clutch hitter similar to LeMayu out there on the market that the Yankees can bring in there 
and really give the offense the punch they're going to need to get them over the top and really and bring home a World Series. Yeah, Jeff, thanks for the call. I think the guy that you're looking for is already on the roster. I think his name is Didi Gregorius. Whether the Yankees bring him back or not, it remains to be seen. Not sure. I mean, the guy, he sprays the ball all over the place. He, he's, a, he's, a, he's one of those kind of hitters, and he's the left-handed bat that the Yankees need. So will they bring him back? Nobody knows. But that's it for this week. Thanks to all the callers. Could not have done without you. It's been a fun, fun four hours. I love coming here talking to you guys. Another thanks to Adam Hill, Raiders contributor to the Las Vegas Review-Journal, joining us live here on McCartan After Midnight. Great job to Pat behind the glass. Marco on the updates. Enjoy Knicks and Nets today, later today. NFL Week 12 action. The Jets are three-point underdogs to the Raiders. The Giants are six-point underdogs to the, to the Chicago Bears. Write it down. I'm going to see you guys this time, same time, 2 to 6 a.m., Friday night into Saturday. Happy Thanksgiving. My favorite part of that about Thanksgiving is the is the lasagna. Mom's lasagna. So enjoy it, everybody. In the meantime, hit my socials at Coach McCartan and Facebook.com slash Coach McCartan. Let's keep that conversation going. See you guys on uh, Friday night into Saturday of this week. Enjoy the turkey day. Sports Radio 101.9 FM and Sports Radio 66. The Fan W.